Rebooch to the nooch, man. We've added brand new dates to the Jay and Silent Bob Reboot Roadshow, man. Check it out. We're coming to Oakland in January, Sacramento, Eugene, Oregon, Olympia, Spokane, Calgary, Edmonton, Medicine Hat, Salt Lake City, Winnipeg, and Fargo. And then in February, we're going to Toronto, Montreal, Portland, Maine, Albany, New York, Providence, Rhode Island, Hartford, Connecticut, Huntington, New York, Baltimore, Maryland, Wilmington, Delaware, Richmond, Virginia, Durham, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Macon, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, Birmingham, Alabama, and we wrap the tour up where we shot the movie in good old New Orleans, Louisiana. What are you waiting for? Tickets go on sale to these brand new dates next week, man. So just go to RebootRoadShow.com and get your tickets on. Don't forget, Reboot Roadshow Tour begins October 19th in New Jersey. That date's sold out and then moves on across the country all the way through December. Check Reboot Roadshow right now for dates near you. And if you can't go to any of the Reboot Roadshow dates, well, do not worry, man. We've got you covered. October 15th and October 17th, Fathom Events going to have these amazing Jay and Silent Bob reboot screenings nationwide, man. Any multiplex does Fathom Events, you could go down to it. You could watch the movie. October 15th, man, we're going to give you a free poster. You walk away with a free poster. October 17th is a double feature. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Jay and Silent Bob Reboot back to back, man. So plenty of ways to see the movie. And then as the tour uh, proceeds around the country, wherever the movie is touring, the movie opens in that neck of the woods as well. It's a platform release. So lots of opportunities to see it before, uh, you know, we stream whenever that is in 2020, man. The Jay and Silent Bob Reboot Roadshow Tour is coming your way, folks. Get your tickets right now at RebootRoadshow.com. Welcome to Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Uh, okay, man, if you're joining us for the first time, you're coming into the party midway. This is like when you go visit a friend and you're like, I haven't seen them in a while. I'm going to drop by. And all of a sudden, fucking 10 people are over and like, oh, shit. Come on in. <laughs> You've come into the middle of a party, man. We started over on Talk is Jericho with our guest, Chris Jericho, today, talking about Pulp Fiction, doing a watch along for the 25th anniversary of Pulp Fiction. So we went deep an hour and change into the movie and paused it. And now we're continuing the show um, over here, man. So uh, we've done it before. We did it with the Bad News Bears. And we're doing it now with Pulp Fiction. Uh, the guy who I'm doing it with is no stranger to our audience. But just in case this is your very first episode of Smodcast, um, uh, Chris Jericho is a goddamn legend in the wrestling community and not even old wrestling community, current wrestling community with AEW and whatnot. He's a legend in the podcasting world. He's a legend in the world of live performance with his band fucking Posse and whatnot. He's a man of, uh, he's a renaissance man, as we say. Spins a lot of fucking uh, plates. But one of those places he spins, he's an actor, man. 
So we worked together in Kilroy was here, which will be coming out after Jane Silent Bob reboot, still working on it, and it's fucking good. Um, and then he was also in Jane Silent Bob reboot, which a lot of you have seen by now, and you know who he plays. We're not going to spoil it here. <laughs> but let's just say it kept him from being in the trailer <laughs> and on the poster. So um, he's an awesome guy. He's an awesome fucking great Canadian, um, great broadcaster. Um, but great movie fan like me. And we love a lot of the same shit. So a lot of folks loved our deep dive on yeah, on, it was uh, fun. on, on uh, Bad News Bears. So we were like, let's fucking do it again. And Chris's idea was like, hey, man, Pulp, 25th anniversary. Let's do that. So here we are to do part two of Pulp Fiction with today's guest, the great Chris Jericho. How are you, sir? You know, it's funny because uh, last time when I asked permission if I could bring some vodka over <laughs> And you're like, oh, it's so cute. But we were laughing. It's like, well, you, you've got the weed. Uh, so vodka and weed yeah. was my suggestion. You came up with grains and greens. Yeah, so that was my idea for the title. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to sit here and drink vodka. I was like, I'm going to smoke weed. So grains and greens. <laughs> grains and greens, vodka and weed. So yeah, man. I mean, this is, uh, I really uh, like this concept. And we had a, a good time with Bad News Bears. We had a great time in part one of Pulp Fiction talking about this masterpiece of a film. And put, and people really responded well to the they Bad did. Bears one. Yeah. We were a little, t- at the beginning of Chris's show, we were talking about, will they get into this one as much? Because this is a movie a lot of people are familiar mm-hmm. with. We were able to hit them with, a, like, hey, man, it's a, what to us is religion. Mm-hmm. But to a large portion of the audience was like, I've, you know, I've never seen this movie. For Bad, Bad News, News yeah, Bears. that's right. Pulp Fiction, you don't really get that surprise factor going for a lot of people have seen this movie. But what you lose in the surprise factor, you just make up for in the sheer joy of we just spent like an hour and change blowing Tarantino. Also, reworking his material, you know, going like, <laughs> you don't need this, you <laughs> got this. Armchair editing. Totally. But I like it too, this is one thing I really, I didn't mention this in the last, uh, in, in Talk is Jericho, was that a lot of people were saying like, this is the pairing I didn't think I knew I wanted. And now like Jericho and Kevin Smith talking about a movie together mm. so that was a really cool and whether it's Pulp Fiction which you have seen or Bad News maybe that you haven't I think just the fact that we're talking about it it will interest people because I know if somebody that I really liked was talking about a movie that I really liked even if I've seen it a thousand times I would still want to check it out especially if it is a movie that you like it's not like homework yeah. and, and it's also not like what happens with these I've found is nobody lines it up and says I'm going to fucking watch a long right, movie right, 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 right. Guys. But they listen to the pod, and then they're like, fuck, I want to watch that movie again. Mm. And sometimes they stop the pod, go watch the movie, yeah. come back come and back pick and check up it and shit like And that. if you haven't seen this in a while, you should watch it because, <laughs> you know, the talk of the town right now is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Tarantino and how masterful he is. And this is, you know, Reservoir was was the, was the first one, and this, of course, is, is, is the second one out of the gate, the masterpiece. And if you haven't seen it in a while, put yourself in our shoes uh, and where we're pretending that we've never seen it before and going back to that first time you saw it and you've never I'm not experienced trying this. in that fucking, you know, uh, I broke up with my girlfriend, so I'm going to go back to the diner where we used to have dinner with because that <laughs> will remind me with the new girl. We're not trying to like relive the fucking past or anything like that. But, you know, we grew up with this movie. Right. So we're trying to get to a place of what must it be like for somebody seeing this for the first time by relating it through our prism of how we felt when mm-hmm. it was like that fucking needle through the chest shot. Yeah, Jesus dude. Christ. So if you I mean, didn't hear the first part of this, go right now, pause this, go over to Talk is Jericho, yeah. listen to part one, then unpause and pick up 
where we're. It's about not going to be any different from what you're hearing on this one. So <laughs> if you want to be with us, and another thing too is so at the time, uh, what year were you born? Seventy. Seventy. So we're both seventy kids. So we what were. Month are you? I'm August. August. 7th. I'm November. So, so I got you back. Uh, that's, that's right. I'm older, <laughs> more wise. But basically, it's we just were depressing because I'm like, well, that's what one could look at at age 49. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that joke was way funnier the first time we met when you were about 280. <laughs> now that you're 180, that doesn't work. Still as works well. now, bro. <laughs> um, so we were, you know, 23, 24 years old yes. when this came out. Think about that. Like here we are as 48, 49 year old men. What were you doing? Age 23, 24. I, were you in yet? Were you fucking doing it? Wrestling? Yeah. yeah I started in 1990. So you so, were in WW. No, I, it, I, I, I had gone at that point, uh, Mexico. And then at this point I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee, actually Morristown, Tennessee, working for a company called Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And I remember I was there from about February to August Broke my arm, packed up all my shit, and moved back to Canada, uh, to Winnipeg to stay uh, for a while with my with my mom. And that's when this movie came out. So I saw this movie in Winnipeg um, after I had come back from the states. So it was kind of a transitional phase for me because I wasn't sure what I'd be doing next as far as where would my career take me because it was the end of the line back in those days when you finished up in a territory, you would leave, and then you'd have to find another job. So how long would it be before WWE and fucking Raw is Jerry? I didn't start in WWE till nineteen ninety nine. All right, so this is nine years. So five years after Pulp Fiction, yeah, is when that that and that and when you begin, is it instant success or were you in there for a year before you became in in WWE? Yeah, it started off hot, then went downhill, and then I had to work my way back up again. Why did it go downhill? Uh, Because that's just the nature of the business. You know, you come in strong, like fucking yeah, and then. And then because I had come from the rival company, WCW, Ted Turner's company, at the time there was called the Monday Night Wars, which was Raw, the WWE show was on Monday night, head-to-head with Nitro, which was the WCW show. So there was a, an actual wrestling war. So you had a choice to make. Yes. And the guys, like when I came over from WCW, it'd be like, you know, the, the, the traders coming across the line. Like, you know, really? the, yeah, the, 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 you know, the Confederate is coming across to the Yankee side or whatever it is. So it took me a while to kind of earn respect. And I came in at the highest of levels, which created, of course, a lot of jealousy and, uh, and ill feelings towards me. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time because there's a lot of politics in wrestling. Right. You know, it's show business. You know that. So I had to figure out my way to kind of build myself up in the respect from these guys to kind of quote unquote earn my position. So that took, it took a good six to eight months to be able to do that. The, what happened in WCW got absorbed by W Vince bought it. He bought it, but he didn't buy it till 2001. I made a choice to leave in 99 because I grew up once again in Winnipeg. There was no WCW. It was all WWF, WWE. That's all. I didn't know any of these other guys. I, I want to be in the WWF. So I, I went to WCW from 96 to 99 because the WWF didn't call me. Then when I made my name there, then suddenly they I was on the radar. And that's when we kind of had some negotiations and a bidding war, shall we say, to decide what I was going to do. And so you were already at WWE. It was then F before yeah. it became E. Uh, yes, it, the it, lawsuit 99 WWF. And I think in about 2001 or two, they had to switch to WWE because the World Wildlife Fund <laughs> took them on and took them on and actually won. And the so. panda somehow beat. <laughs> That's right. Vince McMahon. Those freaking pandas. Yeah, exactly. What did um, what happened? It was when they bought when WWF slash WWE brought bought WCW was were they in trouble? 
it was just one of those things where they they I think there was a lot of um, changes in Turner's hierarchy, right? And because Ted Turner, when he started TBS, right. Uh, wrestling was his first hit program. Yeah, I remember. A, I remember the early days right. of cable when cable first there started, and wrestling was all over fucking TV. And that was what got TBS off the ground. Yeah. And he said, as long as I own this company, wrestling will be on my network. So even when they were tanking in the early 90s and, and, and hemorrhaging money, he's like, don't even come to me about folding it. I told you, as long as I'm at the boss, wrestling will always be on my channel. Uh, lo and behold, when Time Warner bought Turner, uh-huh. Ted was no longer the boss. And the first thing they did was get rid of the wrestling show, which at the time so was- Time Warner's like, we have no interest in holding yeah. wrestling. And because cause WCW was beating WWF at the time for years until about 98. They From about 96 to 98, WCW was the top company, bigger than WWF. Then- you know, the, 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 the dust settled and reality set in and WCW started going down. So when they got to the end of the line in 2001, whatever it is, they were doing bad ratings. They weren't making any money. Nobody was coming to the shows. It was a very cold product. And that's when Vince was able to come in and buy it for two and a half million dollars. He what- bought. The WCW bought WCW from Time Warner. F- yes, and for two and a half million, million with an M. M. All their intellectual property, all of their tape. That's, that's their tape. Less than it costs us to make Tusk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got an entire fucking wrestling. That's what community. I mean. Like at the time, I was not a millionaire, but I could have scraped together two and a half million. You know what I'm saying? Make a few calls. I mean, like, come hey, on. Who wants to own a wrestling and, organization? And to own all of that, the tape library, Kevin, as you that would can, be valuable. Because this day is streaming and and yeah. and having apps that library and right now, especially <sighs> nostalgia value alone. Dude, I'll sell you your childhood. Yeah, you millions and millions place. and millions. You know, so um, he was able to, to to buy it for that, which shows you what Time Warner. How, how in low regard they held WCW. Yeah, two and a half million. It's not worth shit. And Vince, of course, knew that new, new opposite and made a great, great business deal. So thankfully at that point in time, I'd already been in WWE for a couple of years. So, um, I didn't have to worry about it. But when they, when they bought the company, they brought the entire roster in and basically weeded them out one by one. We'll keep you. We'll get rid of you. Of course, the guys that stayed were so happy to have a job, got them for, you know, bargain basement prices. So I, I was, I'd already see, had the foresight to know that WCW is going down and I'll switch. So Time Warner, or as we all know, fucking AOL Time Warner, yeah. um, they, that, that ended quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still there, but mm-hmm. like they, at one point, their the name true was AOL Time Warner. Yeah. Uh, now they've been bought by AT&T. Yeah. And there seems to be a bit of rumor sounds familiar like to this situation where AT&T is just like why do we want to be in the comic book business there's right. no money in this comic book right business. right exactly and there's exactly. A, a threat or a rumor or word that like they may stop publishing DC comics mm. because at the end of the day you make all your money not from the story I tell you today but the old stories that we all knew and loved and more importantly, from the bed sheets and just selling the IP sure. off the licensing. Yeah, the, the the movie rights and everything. Yeah. So there's a chance. Again, nobody's this hasn't come through official channels, but it's just rumors. But there's a chance that you know AT and T is just like, well, you well know. Let, let me ask you this. So when we were kids, obviously DVDs. Before that, it was it was VHS. Um, before that, it was like Super Eight. Super Eight. But you know, you would buy. Master. You would buy. 
uh, Viewmaster. <laughs> yes. You would buy the VHS, you'd bring it home, you'd put it in your shelf, you have a collection. Same thing with albums, which then transferred to cassettes, which then transferred to CDs. Comic books, same thing. Magazines, same thing. Newspapers, same thing. Books, the same thing. All of that has gone right down the fucking toilet. Are comic books following suit? Well, Absolutely. It's like how they have do, been for a long time. Do people read comics online? Yep. They, they, okay. so Comixology is an amazing app that like makes reading comics on your phone fun. So if you tap the screen, it'll tell you where to look. And so you buy the, the comic, but you buy it like Kindle. <laughs> you yeah. buy a digital version of it. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's no, you're not. Gone is the collectability aspect of like, I'm going to bag and board this, Bag and man. board, baby, yeah. And put it in my bag collection. And, board. and you have to have the right type of board. It's more about just re- yeah. Type you can't have the, yeah, it has to be a white. Mylar bag. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, I was so into that when I was a kid. Story so life. into it, man. I got out of it, but I was so into it at the time. But now they've, uh, at that point, if you, you separate collectors from the readers, where people are like, I just want to read this stuff. I don't need to own the comic book. And this is way more convenient. I don't have to get over to the store. I can, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and suddenly it slips away a little bit more. So it used to be like, you know, X-Men number one, the one that Jim Lee did back in the 90s, sold like what, fucking two million copies wow, or something? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Now, you know, if you sell 100,000 copies of a fucking comic excited, book, yeah. you would be And that's a top a level. genius. Yeah, that's a top level. I was talking to Adam Jones from Tool today. They hadn't had a record out in 12 years. Yeah, they just record recently out. Number one. It was number one, I was reading, with 33,000 uh physical and streaming units bought or whatever 33,000 yeah. back in the day if you had 33,000 like three years ago that would put you at number 200 yeah. on the billboard charts it's just it's changed now right so in I, I terms was, of just pure physical sales the physical sales like yeah. that's why those drake records make more sense where they're like he's been streamed more than the beatles yeah it's like all right well i understand that that right. means more people have listened to that fucking uh, to drake yeah. songs than they've listened to fucking beatles songs. and hey I you know it. what like like that's the way of the world and Dude, we all have just to like change fucking more people listen to beatles songs than listen to you know fucking uh not king cole yeah right right, right. or so forth and so on but like, you have to stay ahead of the game and all of us that's why when we were talking about you know the jane silent bob road show on tour it's a great way to get your movie out there yeah, uh, that it's it using has been done mechanism before. of the, something that we're very accustomed to doing, going places and and putting on a show. Um, it's just our show has been made in advance, and you know we don't sit there and go like, oh man, what are we going to talk about tonight? We're getting to show them something new. The whole reason they're in the room in the first place, when we just sit there and talk to each other, is because like, oh, we saw these cats in a movie once and we love them. Yeah. So for years we've been going on the show, Jay and I, uh, going out on the road, just doing Jay and Son Bob reboot podcast live show. <clears throat> for almost 10 years at this point really yeah and he bought a house off of it like you know people were willing to pay like to sit there and watch us talk to each other so i knew that like oh if we go out there with a new movie like with a sequel like us doing jane silent bob again they'll they're paying this much to see us without a movie right and like, they get to see the movie i'm sure too? they'd fucking like <clears throat> get a chance to see the movie too we tested this out years ago with Jay and Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie. Jay made a little cartoon movie for 69000 bucks, 69 new. <laughs> and we took it on the road and toured it. And, you know, it was like we'd already built an audience doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. So we were just like, it's Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. We're just going to show you this cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, before the show. So, you know, there was, uh, you can't always play the game the way the game is played for example like to put out a movie like say the long shot seth rogan was in 
comedy, which I'm not saying is equal to ours, but that's the last comedy I remember coming out before Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Lionsgate put that movie out. In order to market that movie, Lionsgate spends a minimum of $20 million. And that's probably a very, very uh, kind estimate. Um, you know, because it's got two movie stars in it and it was a summer movie. So they're looking to hit like a big audience and stuff. So it could be 25 to 30 million to market that movie. Not to make that movie, just to sell to that market, movie. Yeah, yeah, right, just right. to let people know that movie's coming, go right. see it and blah, blah, blah. So whatever that movie costs, then they got to make like an additional 30 million to make their money back. So we got a movie, like I've somehow found 10 million bucks to make our fucking movie like 18 years later after the fucking first one, long after fucking interest in Jay and Silent Bob is like waning and shit. That's a miracle in and of itself, finding any money to make the movie. To market it, to then go out and find 20 million, which is what we need to even be right. released the movie like the long shot got released. And, and the, you know, it didn't work out all that great for the long shot. Like I've watched a lot of movies come out this summer where it's just like, unless you're Marvel, it's kind of tough to get yeah. people to show up. So yeah. So I'm like, why, why spend, like if we made, <clears throat> we spent 10 million to make the movie, it would spend, we'd need to spend 20 million to go sell the movie. Now I got to make 30 million back, you know, before I see a profit. And in order to do that, I'd have to make 60 million at the box office. Cause you don't get the whole hundred percent of what you see in that figure. You get split it with the exhibitors. And I've never made a movie that made 60 million bucks. So it would be ridiculous. Fool's errand to market this movie in a standard fucking way. So for us, it's like, well, we got this business where we go around, show them yeah. the podcast, we talk to each other. We'll just do that and add the movie. And so it, it's a model that kind of works out. The whole first half of the tour is practically sold out, I think, by now, by the time they're And you're dealing this. with 1,000 seaters, 1,200 seaters. And I get to extend the life of the movie. Yeah. Generally speaking, a movie comes out, you get a month, if you're lucky. Yeah. If the movie's like fucking Avatar big and shit. Um, you know, Jay and Silent Bob reboot would get uh, strike back out a week. And, really? Yeah. Like we were number two, I think three actually at the end of the weekend and shit. American Pie 2, it's second weekend. We were up against second week of American Pie 2 and we won our Friday night slot. But by Saturday and Sunday, people were like, another slice of that pie. I remember back in the day, <clears throat> you'd read the ads for the movies in the paper see what's coming out and all that stuff and it would say i remember i vi vividly remember like star wars 42nd exciting week like yeah. star wars in the theater for 42 weeks yes that's like you know 10 months it's unheard you're of. never gonna see a movie and nowadays yeah. shit endgame happened in what may yeah and you know it's the biggest movie of the fucking summer year forever. almost of all time yeah but we moved on so fucking quickly yeah. because uh, all right we're done we've seen it what do you got next it's the same thing when we're talking about binge watching i was i had one of the girls from glow on today and it's a great show but it's like they spend you know six months to make it it comes out all at once you watch you could watch it literally in one night yeah and then you're like when's season four coming out yeah it's like dude it took you one day for six months it work it's a year to get here yeah like and you're done you can't do that you know, Stranger Things or, or, or Black Mirror. It's like these things come out and you watch it so fast that you then let's move on to the next thing. And that's the world we live in now, which is constant gratification, constant stimulation. And people want it when they want it. Like, sure. Think about it. You and I grew up at a time where it's like if you wanted to watch fucking Empire Strikes Back a second time after it left theaters, you'd have to wait until, until it came back to came theaters. To the theaters, yeah. Maybe in the summertime they do a limited re-release. Yeah. You know? And that's what we are talking about with, with Pulp Fiction earlier is that you have to watch this movie and pay attention. 
You can't be fucking around on your phone or, you know, as everyone Especially does. he fucks with structure and time, which now for a modern right. audience, they're like, oh, I've seen that on Scandal or whatever the fuck. But like, you know, back again, 1994, we're watching this for the first time 25 years ago. This is what made those shows. Yeah. All the, the DNA of Pulp Fiction is in a lot of the entertainment we all watch right now. And you second. still, and listen, you still have to watch it. Yeah. We said, oh, we've seen it before. But like, for example, like, I know how I am. It's like when the Black Album came out, Metallica. Um, some songs I liked, some songs I didn't. But because it was on a cassette, I had to listen to the whole album. Oh, here's song three. You don't like it, but it's on. So just uh, listen to it next time. That's oh, not bad. And then, after 10 listens, song three is the best song on the record, for example. Nowadays, if you didn't like song three after the first listen, what are you going to do? Boop. You're going to yeah. forward it, and you'll yeah. never hear song three again. You're not going to give it a taste again. That's what I mean. So that it could be your favorite song ever, but we don't spend the time with it anymore. It's the same thing with a movie like Pulp Fiction. If you're not paying attention or you don't really want to be there or you're too busy checking your fucking Twitter feed, don't watch this movie. Because you're not, you could say, okay, well, here comes Christopher Walken. Eh, I don't really care. Boop, 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 boop. And you missed the whole reason why Butch is looking for the watch because it was why up the so dad's ass. Important. It all fits. But if you don't pay attention, you're not going to get the genius of this movie. Jericho has previously mentioned also has a music fucking career. And you mentioned something about music a second ago that made me go like, oh, fuck, he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. <laughs> what was the biggest crowd you ever played in front of? Um, festivals in Europe. There's one called Download that we probably did. I'd say probably fifty thousand. Jesus, what um, is it like to play in front of fifty thousand people? It's it's easier in some ways, but it's harder in other ways. So the thing is, when 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 you do a festival, and it's like this in the states now too, people come to hang out for the day, and they're excited and they're cool. So they'll probably be watching, you know. Um, and they'll always be your supporters. Like you could have, you know, 50,000 people there. And if there's, you know, 5,000 Fozzie supporters, they'll set the tone for the rest of the people to get into it. Uh, and when you get a band who's really popular, like if it's Metallica or Slipknot, you'll see 50,000 people losing their shit, all of them. So um, it's obviously always cooler to play your own headline shows right. where people come to see you, but, you know, it's going to be a smaller room. Those type of shows a are easier, but also you really got to be good. You got to you got to pull like, out We're all the not stuff. here for you. That's right. But you can get them. But yeah, you got to win them over. You got to work hard. You got to work hard. It's a it's a it's a real skill that you have to have. Much like podcasting or being a comedian or, or anything like that, filmmaker. If you know what you're doing and you know how to do it right, you can always make it work. If you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna fucking bomb bad. I used to go to when Hall H. They put me on the stage at Hall H. In the middle of the day. And audiences wouldn't leave and shit. So you're playing to a bunch of people who ain't there to see you. Right. They're there to see Peter Jackson four hours later with King Kong presentation. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I always liked it because it's like, I'm like, fuck, this is an opportunity to make a new fucking fan, man. Exactly. I can convert some of these people. No, like, exactly. Like, they're sitting here anyway. I'm going to do my best. We, I guess same philosophy. We, we, by the time this airs, we'll have done it already. We haven't done it now. We have a show at the Bank of California Stadium with Iron Maiden. I told you about it. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, they asked us to support them at this stadium show. We're the only band on their whole tour that was added. Um, they have 40 dates with them and an opening band that's one of the guys in the band's kids band called. Uh, and for whatever reason, they added Fozzie. So Iron Maiden, notorious for having very ardent 
loyal fans that don't want to see openers. And that's why they usually bring that right. Yeah. And that's why they bring usually the kids like Steve Harris is the bass player. His kid is in a band. So they're the opening audience the tour. Be like, All right, well, yeah, this kid. We, we can't throw eggs at Raven age because Steve's kid is in the band with Fozzie. And like I said, I know what we have to do. I know it might not be easy, but I also know that people want to have a good time. And if you can connect with them, much like anything in show business, if you can, like we're talking with James, you connected with a segment of society that believes in your characters. Yeah, if for you, whatever reason. For whatever reason. But they'll stay with you for life. Uh, if it, yeah, if for you, whatever, if right? If you treat it as seriously as they treat it. And yeah. I feel like I've always done that. Like, I'm never like... Oh, Jay and Silent Bob, that's for fucking stupid That was people. the early like, days. They, that means more to me than anybody. Dude, it's, it's your world. life's work, basically. Yeah. I mean, you've had other movies, but you're talking about going Those into- my kids before my kids. Well, yeah, and you're talking about going into a theater that's selling out 1,200 seats, to, you know, paying premium prices to watch the movie. Fucking A, if I, if I didn't know you, if I wasn't in the movie, I'd be one of those people buying a ticket because it's Jay and Silent Bob. We grew up with these characters. So that's when 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 you connect with the audience, you always get a good reaction. And going up against Iron Maiden, I actually said, <laughs> and I got in trouble from the guys in my band. I said our mission is to blow Iron Maiden off the stage. Uh, are we going to do it? I don't know. But if we don't think that way, you are going to get eaten alive yeah. by twenty five thousand Iron Maiden fans in Los Angeles, and that ain't going to happen to my band. Because you know what? If we go there and we kill it and get a good reaction. Chances are they'll call us back the next time they need somebody to play the stadium gigs. And I remain play stadiums all around the world. So you have to look at it that way. We're out there to fucking kick fucking people's asses. And if you don't think that way, don't show up. Speaking of kicking asses, uh, we talked about on your show briefly, but AEW, mm. what uh, it's gone to TV. We're on TV now every Wednesday on TNT. Once again, which is very funny. I didn't even realize this. The last time I was on TNT, which, which was when I was on WCW, Nitro was on TNT. So here I am 20 years later, back on the original network that put me on a national stage for the first time. Holy shit. Yeah. But it's a real, like, when I left you, I was but a learner. Now <laughs> yeah. I am the master. Um, how does it feel to be back in the ring? Um, like I said, my, my I don't have a lot of uh, dates signed. Um, they're, they're minimal. Back in the day, I used to do 200 shows a year, 200 Jesus matches Christ. a year. Uh, now it's going to be looking probably more like 20, but that's still, that's, that's a yeah, fucking, it is. And these are performances, kids. It's not like physical performances. Yeah. Like if somebody's like, I'm going on the Jay and Silent Bob reboot tour and there's like fucking 30 dates strung together, you know, I walk out and I'm like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> I smoke some weed and then I go, Hey, <laughs> and then we all go home. Yeah. Your performance is <coughs> it's very physical. physical. Yeah. Like even no matter what you do, you do your job right. You're still going to walk away with some injury. Yeah. Especially, you know, at, at, at 48 and doing this. Fuck yeah. yeah I didn't want to say that part, but yeah. But, I mean, this is my October 2nd was my 29th anniversary in the business. So for guys to last that long and still at a high level, it's very rare for whatever reason. I always say it's because I grew up in Winnipeg where you're never cold. So you feel no pain. I mean, you're always cold. So you feel no pain. Right. My bones are probably frozen. Um, but as you get older, you do feel it. Cause I still work the same level. I don't cut corners. I work fucking hard, whatever a five star matches or a four star <coughs> matches. I still try and have it every night. And the moment that I feel that I'm not capable of that, I'll stop. 
you know, because I've got a lot of other stuff going on. I never wanted to be that guy that, <coughs> you know, Guy Lafleur when he came back and played for the Quebec Nordiques, you know, the two years after he should have retired. What a deep cuts reference. <laughs> a hawk for the hockey fans. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's very exciting, though, because I worked for the WWE for 20 years and I never had any intention of working for anybody else other than Vince McMahon and the WWE. Roads take you in different directions, different opportunities open up and... Uh, I couldn't not take the chance. So by going with AEW for me, I could go back to the WWE. I could have went back and hey, Jericho's back. People be excited. It's always going to be good. But it's Jericho and the WWE. Jericho and AEW now gives a chance to build a whole new company, put a spotlight in a completely different area, and maybe change the business by creating some legitimate options for wrestling fans it's also a fucking history of not just in wrestling but in fucking every sport of like here's a veteran and yeah we're gonna match them up with fucking the new kids yeah and they're gonna fucking take their cues and learn and, and yeah exactly we don't know who these new kids are but if they work with me they'll know them right away right right, right. you know and another thing that happened too it's it's funny because my dad as you know played in the nhl and bobby hull in 1972 the date could be wrong but there was a a, a new league that opened up called the wha yeah and they were trying to get Bobby to go. And he said, if you pay me a million dollars, I'll go. Well, those 10 teams all donated a hundred grand each knowing that if they got Bobby Hall, they've now got a marquee name. Yeah. You could build a league around. You could. And when he went, suddenly all the NHL owners doubled and tripled their whole roster salary to keep them from going to WHA. My dad, Ted Irvin playing with the Rangers went from 35 grand to a hundred grand overnight because they didn't want him to go to the WHA. Fast forward, you know, 45 years later, Jericho signs with AEW as the new face uh, of the company to get people to watch. You're pulling a Bobby Hall. Pulling a Bobby Hall. And the WWE doubled everyone's salaries if you sign uh, an extension now. they don't want them jumping over. Yeah. Because so, now there's a competitor. There's a competitor. So just because I signed, I got everybody in the WWE a big fucking raise. So there you go. How they many, all owe me a thank you. Thank you text. I got a few, collected? not as many as I probably should have, but <laughs> <laughs> was there ever, did you have to talk it out with someone? Was there ever a decision, like a decision process of like, I told, you know, uh, besides my family, obviously I talked to them, but I told Vince McMahon what was going on. I don't think he really took it seriously. Um, I think when I told him like, this is the offer that I've got, I think he probably figured that maybe I was bluffing and said, take it. And so I took it. And then the next day when I told him I took it, when he found out how much it was for, he's like, you took it? I'm like, well, yeah, you told me to take it. He's like, well, can you get out of it? I'm like, no, you you told me to take it. So I did. Like, that's the end of the story. Right. Um, I think I did things the right way. I let everyone know what was going on. I didn't double cross. Nothing didn't burn bridges. But you were, at that point, you were long out of No, WWE I mean, I was coming or... back. I was coming in and out. I was on a break because Fozzie was doing really good on our last record, but I probably would have went back at some point. Right. But, you know, um, I'm also always into the creative challenge and the chance to do something new. So I thought, why not? Let's fucking go for it, man, and see what happens. And hopefully 10 years from now, AEW will still be around and be a huge company making lots of money for everybody and providing, you know, great entertainment for people. If not, well, we gave it a try and go back to the drawing board and see what happens next. It's a very Bobby Hall move. Well, you know, once again. You should be sitting on a fucking street corner in Winnipeg getting a big oversized check. Great call. The corner of Portage and Maine. Portage and Maine. The coldest uh, street, the coldest cross section in the world. In uh, Yoga Hosers, 
when the girls call into the cops and Stanley is the cop, the uh, address they give for the store is Portage and Wayne. <laughs> As a Gretzky, you fan. couldn't go all the way. Couldn't I love uh, uh, both those movies. The giant was it Guy Johnny Depp's Guy Lapointe, Guy Lafleur. No, Guy Lapointe. Guy Lapointe. Guy Lafleur is the other guy. Which is I love the, the the people you get in your movies. Like fucking John. What the fuck is Johnny Depp doing in yoga hosers? Like what the hell? What the hell's wrong with you? What My do you... favorite fucking like Scott Mosier. Um, we talked about talks that as a podcast, an episode of this podcast right here. It's podcast two fifty nine, Walrus yeah. and the Carpenter. So then I went off and like made the movie. Scott was working on other things. He was working on I think the Free Birds, the Turkey movie. So he, you know, he got to see the movie in post, and. I, you know, got, it was right after we shot the depth scenes, which we shot out in California. The rest of the movie was in oh, okay. North Carolina. So, okay. So, so you we weren't shot, in Gimli. Would you, no. Gotcha. Uh, fuck no. <laughs> we, shot, we shot a Canadian movie in North Carolina <laughs> and Los Angeles. At least it's North. Yes. <laughs> There's a bit there. <laughs> yeah. So he, he shot all the stuff in LA and I cut together stuff real quickly and Mosier watched the movie. And I'm like, uh, isn't it fucked up? Because it was based on a conversation we had on the podcast. So the whole thing's kind of trippy, right? But then he goes, like, in all of it's fucked up. But, like, with all due respect, the most fucked up thing about this movie is that Johnny Depp is in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How the fuck did that it, happen? Yeah. It's kind of like seeing Hemsworth in, in Jane Sonnenberg. Like, <laughs> You're like, you what? know, like Affleck huge, but he's got history. And, and, and Matt Damon, she's, I was, I was watching like, who's the biggest star in this? And then Hemsworth comes on. And you're like, Oh fuck. Like, forget like, what the hell? Like, what is he doing in this piece of shit? You know what I mean? So like, awesome. it's so great. Thank God for generous people. <laughs> so, uh, generous people and obviously Pulp Fiction. Uh, that was a terrible segue, but I'm sure Quentin Tarantino is generous. <laughs> hell of a pivot. Ger- Ger- uh, Tarantino is generous with, with giving out his information. He's generous when with movies. the fucking running time of his movies. We know that. <laughs> and, and plot twists and, and taking you in a different direction. But, uh, uh you guys have listened to, to, to part one. And where we are right now is, uh, Bruce. Uh, Butch has um, uh, uh, gotten his watch back. He's killed Vincent Vega, who's in the toilet. We pointed out there's a lot of toilet uh, 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 turnarounds here. Yeah, and I'm the bathroom one that always gets blasted for like toilet humor. And it's yeah. like he fucking shoots scenes in bathrooms. Right, he shoots people in bathrooms. But the difference is there's nothing funny about it. Yeah, It's not toilet. It's toilet death. Yeah, it's just like, look, people have to use the bathroom and sometimes in, in using the bathroom, one encounters death. Death, right, exactly. Walks out and gets killed. And then, of course, Bruce Willis super happy listening to the Statler Brothers, which was a favorite of your father's, as you pointed out, which I love. And suddenly comes the, to the crosswalk and walking across the street, of course, is Marcellus Wallace, who he basically just ripped off for hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe more. And uh, then they cut to blacks. So we'll be because he, 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 guns, he, guns, he guns the car through the red light, hits Marcellus Wallace, and then gets hit by another car. Everyone's knocked out, fade to black. And Long and short of it is we're about to see Kathy motherfucking Griffin, son. That's right. In this goddamn movie. I remember when, like, I started seeing her and other things. I was like, that's the girl from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Once again, I did the groundlings here for a year, and Phil Lamar, Marvin, was one of them, and Karen Nakamura is the director. You'll see Karen. I'll point her out. She, uh, I don't think she, she might be the lady that gets shot. She's wearing white shorts, but you'll see her. I guess maybe Tarantino was a groundlings fan. Who knows? Could you imagine being able to say, like, yeah, I was in Pulp Fiction? Yeah. Oh, that's the best part about it. Yeah. 
You know. Um, all right, here we go, kids. The uh, I think I don't have a time bar. Up I think here. we're at fifty nine thirty seven, from what I recall. Well, well, Why well, I remember that I don't know. Press play, and, and we'll let There's you know. Gr- exactly. Grains and greens are uh, really rocking it here. Here we go. One's high, one's getting uh, drunk. So, one thirty. Oh, that's Karen Nakamura well. right there. That's Karen with the yeah. We just faded up, and he's dead. That's Karen. Karen is she, the, she the was the director of the Groundlings uh, when I did the Groundlings. So she's in the back there with the white top, and then Kathy Griffin's right there, obviously with the. He was a drunken maniac. She actually gets some good lines. She does. Oh my god! Like, but I think Karen her. gets shot though. She still looks the same. Oh, I love it. Here comes Marcelo Suarez. Uh, Ving Rhames now, uh, who's just <laughs> been uh, a back of a head all this time, is about to become a major player in this movie. I love how he's drunkenly staggering and Bruce Willis, just all the blood broke his nose. And there's the poor, oh, there's this lady with the white shorts. It's not Karen. <laughs> and then they have this kind of I'm shot. slow damn chase. It reminds me a lot of uh, in uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street when he's so high on the Quaaludes and he's trying to walk across the carpet, just kind of like. But once again, uh, watching this with my son, who I mentioned. Split diopter right there. 15. um, To see what comes up here, it's another complete ridiculous curve. Um, Yes. You know. Now, you know, he's thrown us a few curveballs and all of a sudden, all right, it's going to be about these two and and, uh, fighting each other and blah, blah, blah. But. Runs, yeah, right. Exactly. Don't you don't even, expect this. You have no idea what's about to happen. You feel that sting? <laughs> yeah, because once again, I bet you Butch could kill him, man. Well, but he just literally he just killed, killed a guy, guy with his bare hands. So he could get away with killing this guy, but he's got the gun. He's gonna kill him, and then this happens. Now, I was in a movie called Albino Farm, 2007, low-level horror movie. This guy was in it, Dwight or Dwight something or other's his name. The the guy there with the shotgun was in the movie, and he couldn't remember his lines, so they had to write the lines on credit card on uh, cue cards and hold them up behind the camera. That was how we um, Stan Lee did his cameo in Mallrats. No kidding. With cue cards. I mean, because when we got Stan. They were like, you got to be careful with him. He's 73, and he's not going to live that much longer. And I'm like, this guy lived for another 20, 25 five years. years yeah, yeah. Another quarter century. <laughs> he, Outlived some of the people that were like, you got to be careful with this guy. <laughs> How old was he when, he when he died? 73, and he was 98 when he died. He was 98? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, is that right? Am I making that up? Well, we, we, he was old. No, hold on. 90, 95. Yeah, go go look just in case. I'll check it out and see. I love, uh, um, but regardless, he came to set and you know he was like, uh, "Look, I'm I'm an old man. Can we print the lines on oh, okay. cue cards?" So we did. We printed them. Well, you've got you've got uh, there's some good editing. You can't. He really died at 95, so you're not 95. far off. So when you saw him in 94, yeah, in my head and heart. And he was basically like 71 when you got him. So very close. So once again, here, here you go. And this is where uh, uh, watching with my son who hadn't seen it before. He, he knocks them both out and wakes them up by spraying water in their faces. And for some reason, then they now have ball gags. And Bruce Willis has this cascade of blood on Which his again, shirt. Which, again, when I see this movie, I don't know what that is. A ball gag? Yeah. I'm like, what is that? Oh, you never... I still don't really know what a ball gag it's is. It's a sexual device. Well, why would you wear it? Uh, so that... Submission? You're, yeah. And you're biting it on the other side. Oh. So somebody's jamming like a fucking arm up your ass. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> And you're biting down into it to take the pain. <laughs> I gotta imagine. <laughs> I, I'm not quite as experienced with the ball guy. I wish this was on video because you just made the best face ever. <laughs> but you're right. Like at this point, like, you know, you're like, what's going on? And you see a suggestion of leather in the background hanging on 
Right, which you which you would not you would you would not even get that if you hadn't seen it twenty five times, right? And you still even if you get that, even if you're like, oh, there's some leather hanging up. What's going on? You still don't fucking know what's coming. It's still one of the most fucked up things ever. Yeah, like twenty five years on, pulling a dude out the box. The gimp is just a fucked up notion. He lives in a box. He can't even talk. He's like. And this, you're like, wait, what's going on here, man? Are these racists? Are they just fucking racist cops or whatever? That's the, uh, what's his name, Peter Green? I think his name is. He was yeah. in the mask as well. He was, and I like he the was fact in a movie too, called Clean Shaven as well. I also like the fact that he's like, a, he's a cop. He's some kind of a sheriff or a security guard or something. Security officer. Security officer. So he's supposed to be kind of a, a lawmaker, but no dice. I wonder if they had to put the, his cue cards up behind the camera for this movie, too. I doubt that. I doubt Tarantino would allow that. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, th- it also, I, this is like years ago. Well, there's also a big difference between Pulp Fiction and Albino Farm. <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> Some Everyone the Albino Farm. Every Albino Farm is someone's Pulp Fiction. Chris. <laughs> 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 All right, so look at this shot. You know, you're focused on these two, and he's like, bring out the gimp. You still don't know what the fuck that right. means. And they open up. I always thought it was a basement, but it's not a basement. It's a box. He's literally opening up a fucking truck. He lives in a fucking box. That's insane. Like, that's getting into some saw level shit. Here he comes. Saw level. This is pre-saw, bitch. Yeah, pre-saw. So, you know, fucking, he's a cage a in cage, the box. And he's wearing a leather. And they've got like some kind of weird like. Head to toe leather fucking gear. Obviously, leather. S&M fucking humiliation fucking bondage like and, the, and they like have an him animal. like i was this weird thing they've got him kind of uh, with a leash on him and they connect the leash to like these other who plays the gimp there's the great question oh that's good yeah, i don't that's a fucking bar cinema question <laughs> him tapping his fingers oh on i know forehead once again really the sound of it creepy and which of them do you want to do first and you don't even know what it fucking means. You're thinking they're going to murder them. Yeah. But like now that's you're what they're starting do. to fucking go like. And here's a classic Tarantino. You even mind, catch a tiger by the toe is what I always heard. But this Instead, one is catch, course, catch an N-word he, by the toe. He yeah. takes it in his direction. It's so funny. We can't even say the word even though it's on the show. It's also one thing when Marcellus Wallace says it. But like it's that's not what's ever at issue. Yeah. You know, the question is always like, boy, there are an awful lot of Caucasian characters throwing. But that's the Tarantino thing. I think he thought it was cool for a while. Cause you go to hateful eight, like dude, enough already. There's so many in that one. Really? And Django too. Um, all right. So at this point, you're still, I'm seeing this movie for the first time going, wait, what are they going to do? What the right. fuck is going on? Like, and you're starting to piece together, go, are they going to, are they going to fuck this guy? Like, something's going to, like and then you. I still didn't think they're gonna fuck him. I still didn't think they're. I thought they were just gonna well, like this. I knew skin him an S and M outfit. I didn't know the ball gag, but I was like, well, that's like one of them S and M leather outfits and shit. But you're like, what the fuck's going on? Look at the gimp. He's got like a, a in hockey we call those jocks. You put it over your. Uh, he's got a studded jock. And look at this. They got like some kind of chain system that always freaked me out too. Like they actually connect him to the ceiling. He's like, like they inhuman. do this all the time. He's just a thing that they fuck. Yeah, he's like the mountain in Game of Thrones. He's not. He's not. He's not a living. Yeah, he's just a thing they fuck. Oh my god, that's his existence. That's, and then he goes to this fucking staccato stuff. And they go and they go to like a slow motion there, and the door gets slammed. But still, you're like, what the fuck are they doing? And they're gonna kill him. They're gonna kill him. That's what they're gonna do. They're gonna kill him. But at this point, you're just fucking off your feet because you're like, but wait, there's a guy in leather, so maybe. They're not going to... What do they do with that guy in leather? What's the guy what in the leather? Fuck's... What's he going to do? And this guy's clearly crazy. And fucking... We hear them doing some shit in the other room. And whatever it is, 
like fucking he's got to get out of there fucking fast like it again yeah you're building such suspense and look at him like pointing and watch this shit it's so fucking creepy I love it, the slow motion. And he goes like, because he's probably wearing a ball gag to too. Watch him, but bam, and this is a guy who beat him in. Right. Once, and the guy's like hanging from the. I always love this, though. This, this really shows a lot about the character of Butch, right? You want to see behind the green door, man. And, and once again, see, this all goes back to everything fits. The watch, why he went back for the watch is because he still has uh, pride and feelings and honor for his family. Why does he go back to help? Marcellus Wallace, the guy who wants to kill him because he has pride and honor and, and he's got a little bit of a heart inside of him. Yeah, why does he go back? Because he's got a heart inside of him. Because that's why he wouldn't get the watch, which shows that he has a heart. Even though he beat a guy to death and ripped off people, he went back and got the fucking watch because he still believes in family and he has he has some sort of morals inside of him. That's the way I always took it. And now he's going back... To help Marcellus or to fucking kill Zed, either one. I haven't even thought about it in so long. Like the fact that he does, he's getting away scot-free. Yeah, he could just walk out of there. And all of his problems are over because fucking Marcellus Wallace is going to be dead. So ain't nobody going to be looking for him. That's right. But yet he chooses to be a hero. But you could also put the watch in. Do you think it had anything to do with what he said in the car? That we were like, you don't need this scene. Did he say anything in the car that would indicate this was the turn? I, by the way, I love the fact that he goes from one weapon to another weapon to another weapon to the samurai sword. Um, Kill Bill in advance right here. I think Quentin wanting to work with a samurai sword yeah. years before <laughs> Quentin gets to really work. I, I think sword. if you're going in the way that Tarantino might be thinking, uh, I think that's why the watch is so important because he was also scot-free without the watch. All he had to do is leave, get blueberry pancakes and get the hell out of there. But he had to get the watch back and he has to now go, not necessarily to help Marcellus, but to fuck up these creeps. Yeah. And also, this is a guy who fucked over the mob, so he's not known for making the right decisions. Right, exactly. So, and he's also crazy. We know that he fucking murdered somebody. Maybe he liked the the feeling of killing somebody. And again, we don't know what's going on. We still the don't green know. Door. We're we about to find know. out. That's suspense building. Yeah, and it's not Marilyn Chambers back there. I'll tell you that. But it's got to be a reference, right? It is a green door. It and is he a green loves door, references. Yeah. And, and look then at then suddenly like, we're what? Like, Holy fuck! And look man. at uh, Dwayne there. Fuck him. Yeah, fuck him. Oh, it's crazy. It's and still crazy at this point. It's fucking 25 years in. Dude, look, and he's getting nuts. he's getting plowed, too. It's like Halle Berry and Monster Ball. Like, there's, oh, look at this. Boom. Whip-hap. Oh, I, lo- I love how Zed I just watch gets the back, the back. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Boom. The whole audience was going nuts. This is the last, yeah. you know, 30 minutes. Of, it is, yeah. Of, uh, of Once Upon a Time in <laughs> right, Hollywood. Right, 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 right. I love, I love... This this could be my favorite scene now. I didn't like the fact that he was getting plowed, but like, go for it. Go for the gun. Go for it. Pick it up. Now I just I've devolved into watching the movie because I literally forget what happens. He doesn't kill him because I remember that's what oh. he's going to get medieval he's on his ass. Medieval ass. Yeah, that's what uh, call a couple of bad motherfuckers says. with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. It's like <laughs> what does that even entail? A pair of pliers and a blowtorch. The mental imagery of that is ah, insane. There it is. Go, there it is. That's what happens. That's I've it. totally forgot. Set shoots him in the balls. Step aside, Butch. <laughs> Boom. So he's alive still. Yeah. And, and then he's got it's, time to do this fucking monologue where he calls him like, you know, fucking Mr. Mr. Rapist here. Yeah, Mr. Rapist here. The rest of his all 
Natural life. Oh, right? like too short, natural life forever. I'm pretty fucking far from okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a great line. He delivers it so well. I'm surprised. This Quentin is what made Ving Rhames a star. I'm surprised he didn't cast him more because he really nails this part. He's so good in it. Um, Butch still has the sword, but boy, he's not really... And they got to come to terms. What now? Like, what's, what do you mean, what now? Like, what, what, what happens between us? You know? I mean, because Marcellus Wallace could just rear on him and fucking throw some buckshot into him. A couple of hard pipe-hitting Negroes <laughs> to go work on the homes here with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. <laughs> homes, he calls them. What? Oh, that's just brutal. A pair of pliers and a blowtorch. Billy Boy. I ain't through with you by a damn sight. And he's just going, ah, You're getting medieval on your ass. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, kind of fucking performance. Oh, oh, that, <laughs> oh, that what now? <laughs> and you see, like Butch just got ready with his sword. <laughs> yeah, once exactly. The, once the yeah. shotgun went down, he's still eyeing the There's shotgun. There's no way they could kill each other, though. At this point, you know, I think that that's pretty cool. Uh, there is no me and you, and I love that you lost your LA privileges. <laughs> that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good you know you rip off marcellus wallace but he did save he, his life yeah yeah big time and saved him from becoming the gimp because no one knows the funny he might have been the next guy in the outfit. but here's the funny thing i got a real big plot hole here everybody saw <laughs> don't tell nobody about this <laughs> everybody saw the accident and he shot somebody in the street the shiz between me you mr soon be living the rest of his short ass life in agonizing pain rapist here, here. <laughs> but think about that though kev that once again, just like we talked about, though, in at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you, you, he fucking brutalizes those three kids. But yeah. those are the three kids that brutalize Sharon, Sharon Tate, Tate, so, so we forgive it. Yeah. So this is fucking brutal. Yeah. Um, but we're like, yeah, kill him. He's a fucking rapist. Yeah. Take some pair of pliers and a bullet towards too. He takes bad people and then gives you worse people. So well, you that, can root for the bad. That people. was the whole premise of Dexter, which was a great yeah. show for a few seasons. The reason why you rooted for a serial killer is because his rule is he would kill people worse than him. Yeah. But let me point this out though. So there's a God there's a it, there's look a, how good he looks. Okay, okay, but dude, hold on. So someone gets a hit and run. There's a car crash. Somebody gets shot on the street, and there's no cops following these guys. Everyone saw them walking to the pawn shop. Yeah. That's the one part of this that bugs me. They just walk two feet down in the pawn shop. There should be cops swarming all over this this this, this place. Maybe the security guard sent them in the other way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send the security guard in there. Local contacts. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, there you go. Grace. That's what we talked about. Grace. Grace. Grace is his girlfriend or Grace is his bike? It was Zed's... Uh, yeah, it looks like uh, the same strip mall where um, Max Cherry had his fucking bail oh, bonds place. It, maybe. I doubt it is. Max Cherry. That was awesome. Uh, that was uh, what Brown. he followed this up with, man. Like you got, you do uh, Pulp Fiction and the world is your oyster. You do anything you want. And the next movie you make is an adaptation of a Elroy Leonard movie. Yeah. Um, is it Elmore? Elmore Leonard. Or Elmore, Elmore, J- Elmore James. Elmore Leonard. I think it's Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard, yeah. Um, man, like, and even that was a very Quentin move. Like, yeah. Well, what do you do after you, you know, what do you do after you make a movie like this? Right. It's like, it's always, he's like, I'm going to adapt a book, a yeah. book uh, from a writer who's writing helped me become the writer that I am today. Yeah. It's a smart movie. And I'll put Sam Jackson in it and I'll put, you know, a couple of my, uh, anybody want, he, you know, I'm going to John Travolta with Pam Greer. Yeah. And Robert Forster too. Right? Yes. Yeah. 
which to a degree one of the, he was he was successful. One at. of the first roles of uh, of uh, Chris Tucker. Yes, Li- Livingston James or something. Like that. Um, yeah, boy, oh boy, this. She comes out. She's still kind of worried. Well, technically, then is this the end of the movie? Like, if you were doing it chronologically, I think the end of the movie chronologically. What do we say? It's when, um, what do we say it was? Well, I mean, Vince Vega is dead, right? Marcel, uh, uh, yeah, Jules has gone off to walk the earth. This might be the chronological end of the movie, but there was there was a point that we thought was the chronological end earlier. But I mean, if if you cut the movie in chronological order, because the movies, of right. course, shuffled around, I think this is the last shot. Because after Driving this, up. we go to the diner. We we go back to the room where Alexis Arquette is right. hiding in the bathroom. Yeah. Zed's dead, baby. Zed's then dead. we go to the diner. That'd be a great mo- ending. Zed's dead. Boom. And they River go, Glenn this could be the end. You're right. This could be the end because. Now, not bad, especially like because you were coming off of the gimp. Mm-hmm. And what a fucking mind, mind bend that is. But like by switching it up and doing the Bonnie situation, you go out even stronger well the movie ends in the diner though yeah you begin right. and end in a diner. in the diner right yeah i think you're right i think the last scene of the movie if you, if you cut it chronology, and we should ask our, our fans your fans my fans our fans if anybody's ever seen a chronologically cut version of this because i really think first of all i thought at first i thought this was jerry seinfeld when i first saw this uh, guy. yes but it's alexis arquette who's now uh is not with us anymore that transitioned into uh, a female yes she passed yeah um her sister wrote beautiful things about her amazing um, to to see two arquettes two groundlings oh my god yeah that's right because right, roseanne arquettes in yeah as well and you get what a rare treat like he got to do you got to see or hear that scene again and you got to see it on his face mm-hmm Right, it's, it's from a different side, and there you go. The only other person who we get to watch a whole performance on their face is Bruce Willis when Marcellus Wallace is talking. It's a pride's a motherfucker. Yeah. So you know, once again, here's a big bathroom reveal. Uh, Vincent Vega dies because he's taking taking the poop in the bathroom. Uh, he comes out at, at opportune time in the diner because he's in the bathroom, and here you have you know this cat comes out of the bathroom, which gives Jules this life altering experience where he wants to go walk the earth and and have adventures. <laughs> then they just they missed like 18 shots and then they just take out their guns and like he missed them both how do you miss both of them <laughs> the mad eyes yeah. oh we were saying before that the end of the movie no it's not because vincent dies i yeah. think i think that's the end of the it movie is. the end of the movie would be butch yeah and, and uh his girlfriend driving, driving off in the, the sunset bike. and with the with the great final line who's zed's dead, dead zed's baby. dead baby that's it. That's the chronological end of the movie. <laughs> oh, poor Marvin, man. <laughs> and you're sitting there going like, did you see this? Size of the fire is bigger than him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I felt the touch of God. It's so God funny, though, involved. dude. Like, after watching this, like I said, probably 25 times, I've never realized that that was the real end of the movie. Yeah. It's, dead, it's, if you're in the divine intervention. Um. Yeah, because we never see once they come, once they walk back into the bar 
where um, Paul is between you all. That's the last you see of Jules chronologically. And like we said, Vincent still stays. He goes back to work. He works at the boxing match. He's put on the hunt for Butch. Butch kills him in his house. Then then does the thing with Marcellus. Yeah, that's it. That's the end. I wonder if Phil Lamar knew he was in Pulp Fiction when they were making this. What do you mean? Did he know that it was going to be Pulp Fiction? Or is he just like, this is a cool movie that I get to be in? Well, did anybody know? You mean, did they know it was going to be such a hit? Yeah. No, I mean, I guess it'd be tough for anybody to pick it, you know, being a hit. But did he know he was in, like, a movie that was going to be a classic? Such a classic. Because he's got a great part, too. You know? Yeah, and he's got, in this segment, he's got a lot of fucking screen time, too. Yeah, and, and then, then even, even has the one of the too. most memorable cinematic deaths <laughs> yeah. of all time. Man, I don't even know what I think about that. Boom. Done. Um, you know, as an actor, I'm sure a John Travolta at the time, like we mentioned, not the hottest of properties. He's doing the Look Who's Talking and a couple other the baby movies. movies. Baby movies. Um, he probably gets a script like this and goes, I don't care if there's ever going to be anything, but look who else is in it and look how it's written. I'm in. And here he goes. It, it ends up invigorating his whole career. And I, I, I know it wasn't easy to. Like in terms of... Uh, to take this part? No, to fucking get him cast. Really? Oh, yeah. Quentin wanted him, but, you know, the powers that be wanted movie stars. Oh. Current movie stars. Quentin wanted to, you know, re reintroduce. Probably loved John Travolta's work. And was just like, oh, my God, it's much cooler to... Like, everyone loves this cat, man. Why don't right. we just fucking give him another chance and put him in something cool? Bam. <laughs> Nobody was expecting that, and the whole audience once again was laughing. Ah! Once again, there's brain. You see the brains on Jules's hair; like he's got like the soul glow afro sheen, but there's like bits of brain hanging from it and shit. And still, while you're watching this for the first time, you're not sitting there going like, "Oh, this is why they're in the t-shirts." Right? You still don't know. You still have no idea. No, you how still those don't t-shirts come and play. But, but now, but now you're, bar. but now you're hip to the to the style of the movie. Like we're gonna find out at some point why they're in the t-shirts. You know, it's an anthology, man. At the end of the day, good so point. You're seeing a couple different stories yeah, good point. at play, and he, he lets them play out and stuff. Can, look at this. The, the 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 car is just covered in blood and guts, and it's like, what are they, they now? They have to try and find a sympathizer to Marcellus Wallace. Look at the beast, be, bit of brain hanging right out of his hair. I got no partners. Eight one eight. <laughs> Jimmy, yo, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> So they got to go find a place to, to park this car and get it off the streets because it's covered in blood. And they go to Toluca Lake. I, we lived in Toluca Lake while we were making Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. We lived oh. there for like 11 months. It's down down the road from Pasadena, Glendale, Burbank, right? That I area? Mean, oh, it's fucking way closer to here. It's like oh, right okay. over the hill. All it's right. uh, so funny when he says uh, over the hill from the Burbank Studios. I mean, it's like right there. Mm. Like Toluca Lake is literally almost down the street from Warner Brothers. You gotcha. can walk to Warner Brothers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toluca Lake. But it is a very, it's the neighborhood that made me first think about moving to Los Angeles because we lived there for 11 months. It's flat. So the kid was young and I used to wheel her around and stuff oh, like yeah. that and go for walks. And I saw a house that was for sale in the neighborhood. I remember taking a pamphlet and looking at it and being like, you know, we've been out here long enough. Like, if you live in any place 11 months, shy of, like, maybe, you know, fucking Calcutta or something like that, he mm -hmm. starts to feel like, I can live here. This yeah, yeah. So I went back to the house that we were staying in, Toluca Lake, on ledge, with the pamphlet from, uh, from my wife, and I was like, this house is for sale. We should go look at it. And she was like, well, if you're talking about getting houses in Los Angeles, 
like let's not live in the va- i don't want to live in toluca lake and i was <laughs> yeah. like why not and she's like because it's toluca lake like i want to live over in, in hollywood or in the hills or something she was a californian at that point for like seven years there he is himself the maestro yeah so she knew where she like where she liked and where she didn't like and shit me i was like toluca lake is amazing <laughs> i love uh how uh they're trying to <laughs> trying to fucking you know butter his popcorn by telling him how good his, his coffee is and there's also a great barberino delivery on the line earlier where he goes uh uh did you wash your hands you watched me wash him he says a total barberino grease uh, you know danny zuko you watched me wash him and that's the other thing we talk about like uh you know fucking my god this is john travolta who years ago was in saturday night fever and yeah my god this is john travolta who was in greece um, greece we forgot he was a fucking TV star yeah. as well. He was yeah. Vinny Barbarino on yeah. Welcome Back, Cotter. So by the time, and let's say Welcome Back, Cotter hits 1975. This is 1994. He, 19 years, he's been a fucking well-known yeah. superstar. The last five of those, five to six, five to eight, let's be generous, is him, you know, doing shit like The Experts. right. Um, you know, the movie about the two dudes who go <laughs> over to communist Russia and <laughs> try to pull it off or whatever the fuck. And the baby movies. <laughs> it's about a baby who talks, but it doesn't really talk. It's really weird. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm going to look up what he was up to at this point in time. Cause like you said, um, Quentin flat out rescues him. He, yeah, he, 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 like it's career. It's the first example of Quentin re, 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 resuscitating people's careers. Cause look at this. So 85 is perfect. I remember that was Jamie Lee Curtis end of his kind of big run. And, and, and perfect. Yes. Was the end of the big run. Cause perfect tank. So sure. Hard. But then it, 85 next movies, 89. So he four was years in jail for four years. Experts, look who's talking, look who's talking so to wait, Experts was nineteen eighty nine. Nine And that was a straight to video movie, didn't go to theaters. Okay, then you got Look Who's Talking. So that brings him back, but and then you got they look, didn't go for him. They, they went, went for, for the, the talking baby talks. Baby. And then you got Look Who's Talking to T O O. He had a franchise at that exactly. point. Exactly. Then you got Shout, Eyes of an Angel, Look Who's Talking Now. They they had three of those things. In that one, the dogs talk. Oh my god! So in shut Luke up. Who's talking was the baby Mikey, who, by the way, was voiced <laughs> by Bruce Willis. Oh who's wow! In this fucking movie. He did the voice of fucking Mikey. Now there's 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 a a sexier uh, a Mia Wallace With a, there. Is a bathing cap on. A bathing cap. Looking old Hollywood and stuff. Uh yeah. So the the dogs talk. <laughs> And look who's talking now. And that had a budget of twenty two million. That stinker made ten million bucks. So that was a move. That was a so move. by the by the third one, people were like, "We're done. Yeah, we're finished." And we it's a dog now because that the was directed one, by at least the first one and maybe two, maybe third one. Amy Heckerling, the same person that directed oh, Fast Times, okay. Judgment High, and Clueless. Uh, look who's talking to did forty eight million, and look who's talking did a whopping. Uh, 300 million it was massive. huge hits that put him back on the map but then he went right back down again because and then Tarantino two, people were like oh and it was now, also bruce willis was one baby and they added a baby and it was roseanne <laughs> as the birth of the other baby look who's okay. talking three was joan rivers as the dog Here, here's okay but here's what i love uh, uh about this i have to point this out i've always loved this winston wolf gets called and he's at a fucking super nice dinner party right you know what time it is? 8.15 in the in morning. In the morning. 8.17. So who's having this amazing dinner party? It's like some kind of secret society or whatever. I think that Tarantino, which I know he never would, he should have done a sequel on Winston Wolf, Like the coolest motherfucker ever, right? The cleaner. 
Yeah, the cleaner. Um, the uh, yeah, maybe he was at one of those eyes wide shut type of fucking everyone's dressed up orgies. Something like that, yeah. You know, or some kind of a, a like I said, some kind of a secret thing where it's not even like he's driving like a fucking hot. Car. Look at this once again, Harvey Keitel. Definitely one of the best actors. Now Harvey Keitel is a linchpin in uh, Quentin's career. You know, he goes on to work with him, of course, and from dusk till dawn. Right. Um, but Harvey Keitel uh, pushed Reservoir Dogs through. Oh, by getting involved. Yeah, Lawrence Bender got him the script because he was in some acting class or something like that. And Harvey Keitel fucking loved the script. So Harvey Keitel was like the first to sign on, tell other people about it. And Wasn't Harvey also kind of an Eric Stoltz? We mentioned in part one that Eric was the original uh, Marty McFly and was removed from the from the, from the the set. Wasn't that the same with Harvey Keitel in Apocalypse Now? Was he originally I the think Martin he was, Sheen yeah. In the, and then they took him out and put Martin Sheen in. I love how Winston shows up and like he just gets to work, man. He sees this gore slaughterhouse uh, 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 resembling car with poor Jimmy in there. And it's incongruous because you got these two hitmen and this guy in a tuxedo and they're in a garage. There's a guy wearing a, a bathrobe. A checkered bathrobe. Um, and this guy's asking about fucking coffee and shit <laughs> while there's all this blood and brains all over the interior of the car. So once again, this is in the multiplexes, 1994, and America is waking up to yeah. fucking the, the aroma of Quentin Tarantino, who's taken them on this incredible journey so far, ultimately a two and a half hour journey, but like where he's done twists, fucking turns, motherfucking guy come out a box that it's yeah. implied that he's just there to be fucked by the other two guys like he's shown you shit you never imagined you'd see in your fucking lifetime all this shit still holds up today yeah all, all of it still fucking works the story works it all works i'll tell you something else too uh this is another one of my favorite scenes and i when i say seeing this whole section because the acting here and i said before that tarantino might have been the low level he's great in it as well here but the three of these guys dealing with each other especially vincent vega who shot marvin he's to blame but he's got a little bit of attitude yes it was, i think it's really funny when he gives back to the yeah to the wolf where he's just like you know with all due respect you know i'm you don't can't talk to me like that yeah exactly he's like okay here we go that's one of my favorite lines i still use this day pretty please with sugar on top clean the fucking car yeah, i say that you say that in any instance car. whatever it is you want somebody to do something for you you know so wait so Quentin worked with them in Reservoir Dogs. He worked with them in this movie. He worked with them in From Dust Till Dawn, which Robert Rodriguez directed, but they acted. Did Quentin write it? Quentin wrote that, co-wrote that script. Um, what else did Harvey Keitel? He wasn't in that was, that was, was he? This is it. This is the end of his uh, run with Tarantino, as far as I can remember. I wonder what the falling out was. Maybe just didn't have any roles for him. You know, Tim Roth was supposed to be in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He, he, trimmed got, him out he got trimmed out. I wonder if Harvey Keitel got trimmed out. I remember there was a... If you watch the documentary about the making of full, From Dust Till Dawn, um, Full Tilt Boogie. Oh, that's great, yeah. It's a great documentary, but he's uh, very serious in the documentary. Harvey Harvey, Kinsel. he seems like, like it, yeah. An incredibly serious actor. And, <laughs> you know, that movie had a like a sense of humor. The documentary had a sense of humor to it. But a lot of was, actors like, like De Niro, like not Harrison Ford, not the type of guys that you think you'd really go hang out with and have some laughs with. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't really they come across like very like a, yeah. treat it like, ah, it's not serious. They, yeah. Like it's the crap. There you go. So pretty please of sugar on top. Clean Pretty's the fucking car. <laughs> with his bag of car, with his uh, cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. And it's, meanwhile, we're still like, but he got killed. 
Oh, wait, this is before that. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't pieced together anything other than this is His before Bonnie that. situation is explosive. I love how they, uh, I think they already uh, um, kind of imagined what would happen if she came yeah, home. Yeah, they did the vision. Yeah, of like, course. She's, what she, happens she, if she comes And for in. the extra cool factor, she's black. Yeah. yeah. I, I just thought that was kind of cool. Very Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very like uh, 1994. Even by 1994 standards, fairly progressive. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah. And it also shows Tarantino's mindset. Tarantino, like I said, he always had a cool vibe about him, you know? Um, this is great, too, when he's talking about the sheets and his Aunt Becky's sheets or whatever it is. And he's like, what did he say? Aunt Becky's not going to buy, you know? Oh, and that's right. He's got to but... peel off some bills for yeah, him. Yeah, Aunt Becky's not going to buy you oak floors, but... Your uncle Winston, or your uncle Marcellus Will, or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> uncle Conrad and Aunt Ginny, that's it. Aunt Ginny. Are they millionaires? millionaires. Yeah. I <laughs> know. <laughs> well, your uncle Marcellus is. <laughs> With a gun in my head, I wouldn't remember this part. You know, I remember all this, man. I guess maybe because I just saw it recently or whatever. But it's great, great acting. You know, and, and, and let me ask you this. You're a director who, who, I wouldn't like to say put yourself in the, in the movies, but you play parts in your movies. Is it hard? And I was in the scene with you for Jane Sound by Reboot where you did the big, finally, uh, Sound Bob Talks. How do you direct yourself? Um, You watch, you do it, and then you go watch the monitor. You watch playback, and then you're like, all right, I can change that, I can change that. Let's go one more. And then you go out and do it again. You go back and watch You really got to trust your crew, though. Yeah, I'm not really. Just okay. Because you're going to be able to watch it. You're setting minutes. it up anyways. Then you're kind of... As long as you're hitting your marks, they're going to keep you in frame gotcha. and in focus. And then... It's like any other performance. You watch it and play back and you're like, I like it or I think that's the best it's going to be or fucking, yeah, that's it. Or fuck, I can get that better. Let's try that again. Because you, you, you work fast, which is great as a director. Because I, I edit more than direct. I'm just collecting shots. You see it in your head. Yeah, Once you got, like, it, you got it, you got All I need yeah. are like 12 shots to get us out yep. of the scene and shit like that. So other people are like, let's find the scene and let it breathe and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's fine. That's great. It's all different ways. Yeah. But I think more like an editor where I'm like, okay, 12 shots gets us you got to it. the next scene. Once you got it, you know, you, you can move on. Have you heard uh, from Tarantino at all? What, did Harley say anything? Does he work slow? Does he work fast? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. She talked about him on um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood said he is precise. She's like, he's more precise than you. Okay. And, you know, I got looser in my old age, but she's like, he... He wants you to pause where the comma is. Gotcha. And he'll say like, "We got to redo that because after after you say that, after you say the word that, there's a pause, there's a comma there. Then you pause, then you go back into it." So I heard the Cohen brothers liked it too. This is the way we wrote it. This is the way you I used to be it. like that too. Clerks, Smallrich, Chasing Amy was that way, and then wow, yeah. Dogma as well. But I started getting looser on Dogma because I had Chris Rock, and Chris Rock was like, you know, I'm it's tethering a genius to be like just say the words that are right, on the page right 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 he started throwing in fucking jokes that made the movie better and that's shit. a great point and I was like oh what am I supposed to do now I can't credit now I gotta rewrite the credit so it says you know fucking written by Kevin Smith with this line by Chris Rock <laughs> yeah and he's like you don't have to credit me with anything he's like just fucking leave it in there man that's free go ahead like I don't give a fuck and so the next movie I made was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back with Will Ferrell, mm. so at that point, and those guys are notorious for giving you like big ad libs, as many great takes that you can't use as as you, as you can. Funny, it's just a delight to be on screen. With I love this too. Yeah. We talking about the doughy John Travolta. There he is with the shirt off, first time in the movie, right? Yeah, and he did not do a typical like 
leading man. Like I got a shirtless scene coming up. I mean, he didn't give two shits. He probably thought no one's going to watch this anyways. I like how they give him the two bars of soap. And then of course, here's the nerdy clothes, uh, or the towel first. And once again, it's eight 15 in the morning. It's cold outside. Yes. I think this point, well, they're trying desperately to get done before nine, right? Yeah. And then they get their clothes, <laughs> and then they are. And now suddenly, you've watched this movie, and you're, and you're like, like oh, oh, that's why. And I love this line here. You guys look like, uh, what do you look like, Jimmy? You look like dorks. You look like a couple of dorks. Hey, they're your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that line. Ha ha, they're your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> but, oh, geez. There's once, poor there's a, Marvin. There's a, it was a cop in Reservoir Dogs, and it's poor Marvin. In, uh, in, yeah, uh, in the truck. Yeah. And go to, uh, see, once again. Monster Joe's truck and truck. I think when, when you watch this the first time, to me, and I still vaguely remember, also I'm just saying that I remember, but this is when I realized just how fucking cool the movie is because there's the random uh, 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 reveal of these guys wearing these clothes and you don't know why. And when you finally find out why you go, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch it again and see how, how it goes. You know, this is uh, still at this point in the story, you're sitting there going like, Oh, Oh, I get it. So his job is to just clean up fucking messes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and, works for Marcellus to clean up messes, yeah. And this is a, a mess in the suburbs. So that's all this is. And that's, and right. that's the the taking the trope and spinning it on his head is is like, let's take all of this out of the world of mobsters and put it in the fucking burbs. You don't get to Sopranos unless you get to this. You're right, yeah. You know, and once again these two guys Coming up there, uh, and there's well, there she is, uh, Julia Sweeney. Julia Sweeney, uh, who it's is Pat herself? It's Pat, so we know that Pat is uh, cute, and she's got big boobs. Uh, um, God said, "Ha!" is her concert movie. Oh, okay. That she's, she talks she's, a, about she's a comedian surviving cancer. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, she was on SNL. Remember? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. they're all um, Monster Joe's truck and truck and truck and tow. Really fucking tough to say. Monster Joe's truck and tow. Especially when you've been grains and green in it all night. You ain't kidding. <laughs> Even I can get baked. Look at the dogs in the background. Such a nice touch. But uh, that would have, I've always felt, been a nice place for a cameo by Lawrence Tierney. Oh, as, Monster as Joe. Joe. Monster Joe. Get back in here. Get back to work. Yes. Yeah. Um, just because you have character, just because you are a character. Doesn't mean you have character. And look, she's got a nice little butt on her, too. Why do you think they need to, like, why? An Acura? I wonder if they had a deal of some sort. Well, maybe because like he, has a... to, he has to keep it low, man. He's Winston Wolf. He can't be driving a Mercedes or something for the cops to pick him up. I guess. It's a weird touch. I could go for some breakfast. Um, and this is when this is when Jules has decided he doesn't want to be a, a gangster anymore. But even after well, this maybe happens, I'm wrong about the diner, man. That what do you might mean? Not be. I don't know if this is the same. This is the Hawthorne Grill. No, no, this is the one that's the, by the Miracle Mile. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It says it has a sign as as seen in Pulp Fiction. It's God, still it's up there. It's a different angle, then, man. Like, well, because yeah, because you're looking at a different angle because they're over there. Yeah, the, the animated. I've seen it. I pass it all the time, though, and it's just... no. But it's, the wall is over here the, the, with the with, that's the street with the windows, and that's where Amanda Plummer and uh, Tim Roth are. So Honey those Bunny. windows right there. I don't know if it is the same. You know this. This is a great scene too. There's so many great scenes in this man. You know, and they're arguing about pork. You know what? It ain't the same diner because outside these windows, if you're seeing these windows, it's only one of two streets that that could possibly be, and one is. Highland, and the other is 
Wilshire. And what? those buildings are too low to be either Highland what or What street Wilshire. is Miracle Mile? It's the corner of Highland and Wilshire. Well, that's where this is. It says, as, as seen in Pulp Fiction. You think I there's two, these two diners? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But I'm looking out that window and I'm like, that that don't look like fucking Highland and Wilshire. And I want to rewind it, but, you know, we're doing a watch along and shit. They're both chuckling here. They're laughing. Looks yeah. like it. And also, they're in, well, I mean, you know, this doesn't matter. Movies move around. But they're meant to be in the valley, right? Because they were an 818. Yeah. And they're getting picked up by a partner. Well, so yeah. they're waiting for, yeah, it could be yeah. anywhere. But Rumble I, in the Bronx had mountains in it because it was filmed in Vancouver. Exactly. <laughs> but this does look like the valley outside the window. And the Hawth- here, look up Hawthorne Grill. See if that's a real place. Um, cause boy, that would just blow my mind. It wouldn't change the fact that the Miracle Miner Mile Diner is still the diner from Miracle Mile. Pulp Fiction film locations, uh, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Um, yeah, I, I think that's uh the Hawthorne Grill. That's is where they've. It's now demolished. I'm telling you, that's not it. Cause that grill the diner is held up still by there. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Yeah, is the Hawthorne Grill, 137th Street, Hawthorne, south of Los Angeles Airport. So that's, that's not, not the Miracle Mile. No. Yeah, you're right. We just learned a fucking thing, bro. 25 years I've been thinking it's the same fucking diner until I watched that exterior shot. And I'm like, that don't look like the outside. So this is by the airport? This is right by there, Hawthorne. So yeah, so I always thought that that other diner—it's just the Miracle Miner. My, my, ugh, fuck, Miracle Mile Diner. I mean, there's a lot of tongue twisters. <laughs> to miracle Miner. Um, once again, they're having this and great discussion. I'm just gonna walk the earth. Yeah, like Kane and Kung Fu. Heaven ventures. <laughs> and again, and Kung Fu. This is a guy who would later go on to do Kill Bill. Yeah, he was he was Bill. Yeah, da- uh, David Carradine, who then died apparently with from uh, the autoerotic association. Yeah, I remember that. Was... I don't think uh, I don't think there's any p- pluses to that. His daughter is it his daughter? No, it's not his daughter. Or is her? Yeah, no. Okay. I, I worked with Ever Carradine, but I think that's not one of David Carradine's daughter. It's Robert Carradine's oh, daughter, yeah. and he is Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 he's a Carradine too. Yes, God, those guys have, have they the Carradine's uh, fingers run deep. Garcon coffee, coffee means er, suddenly means you're boy. seeing that scene from the other and you're angle, like, oh, and you're like, oh shit, we're shit. back at the beginning. Yeah, once again, see that's and they don't reveal those two right there. You know when. The, 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 and in your Genius. head, you're starting to go like, "Wait a second! Oh, they pulled guns at the at the end of that scene, and they pulled guns with the two bad motherfuckers here." So now, what's going to happen now? Now you're starting to write the scene in your head. And here goes Vince. Where's he going? Into the bathroom to take a shit. Once again, a lot of bathroom things going on. One here. use of the bathroom saves his life. The other one kills it. The other one yeah. takes his life away. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when nature calls. Fuck to be continued. I'm gonna go take a shit. And they just had a religious conversation. Um, and here we get the moment of uh, calm before the storm. As we, the audience, knows something's about to happen and then Quentin shows it to us. Yeah, I love you, honey, buddy. We're right there. All right. Wish and it's a different take. Anyone completely you, yeah, watched. That's right. I don't execute Bang, they cut to a different take right there. 
because if she freeze frames and that was the the, you always expect to hear miserly and once again he described this in the opening scene why you rob a diner because everyone's scared no one knows what to do they told us two hours ago exactly exactly what he was going to do that's right that's funny Lawrence Bender the producer he's the one on the ground really he's young I always thought Lawrence Bender was Lawrence Tierney. I thought they're the same guy. I mix I mix that up. He does the whole kitchen, man. I mean, I guess that's smart. Yeah, you have to, right? They don't want any heroes. Remember, he said there's always one guy who wants to be a hero. I'm the manager here. There's no problem at all. And once again, we're building, <clears throat> a, a, a masterfully building a scene of tension. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Oh, my God. What's going to happen? Yeah. Now. Well, just ex- you know, execute him. You know for a fact John Travolta is going to live through this because- we see him We've again. We've seen him right? later on. <clears throat> he don't live through the day and or actually, maybe the next day. Basically, but... you know they both do because you've been paying attention, which you wouldn't remember the first time you watched it. But once again, my name is Paul. This between y'all. What the fuck did you ask me then? They're wearing those clothes and they both walk into the bar. That's right. So at this point, <clears throat> if you've really done your homework, you're not as baked as I am. You're sitting there going, and you're seeing this for the first time. You're like, well, wait, nothing's going to happen to John Travolta. Right. And nothing's going to happen to, to, to Sam, Sam Jackson. Jackson. And I think if we're going chronological order. So you think order, you're like, they're clearly going to kill. Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Yes. Right. And he's going to, just as he was killed in the bathroom, he's going to come out the bathroom, maybe kill him as they come in of the course, bathroom. Of course, that's going to do. Now, also, too, what happens after this scene is they leave. It shows them walking out. That's the end of the movie. They walk out. They go to the bar to see Paul and Marcellus, where they run into the palooka. And there you go. And it all continues from there. But that in the bar is the last time you see Samuel Jackson because he fucks off. But then Vincent Vega continues on. So somewhere, I remember Quentin used to talk about in the, in the back in the day, he was like, one day I want to make a Jules Walks the Earth movie, which could be the 10th film. But he's talking about doing an X-rated or an R-rated Star Trek. I don't want to see Star Trek. That won't be his, I don't know if that'll be his 10th film. I've seen enough Star Treks. I'm I'm so curious to see him do Star Trek the same way. I was so curious to see him do like you know fucking martial arts. Yeah, it's a genre, but he's never I could done see science some fiction. world where he fucking does Jules walks I'd be, the earth. I would Sam love Jackson, to see one of the biggest movie stars on the fucking planet. I think I think he's actually the highest grossing movie grossing star movie on star planet. on the planet. With so all the, yeah. you you've already established. Think of how fucking nuts everyone would go. They're like, oh, oh fuck, it's a sequel, a quasi sequel to Pulp Fiction. Much more excited than a Star Trek. Um, but maybe that's why he won't do it, right? Because that's what you maybe you don't go back to that. He's yeah, never done. You don't want to touch yet. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and Kill Bill wasn't a sequel; it was one big long movie that he cut in half. But still, I love this. I Jules didn't... walks the earth. Oh, I love it. Call it that Jules. I love this line too. He goes, "I didn't hear you," and 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 Jules goes, "Yes, you did. You heard exactly what I said." This ain't the first time I had a gun pointed at me. <laughs> What's in the case? So British. What's in the case? We would say, "What's in the suitcase?" It might be your last. That's right. We had a whole movie to see the Tim Roth uh, speaking in an American accent, Reservoir Dogs. That's right. And now but he's in English. This one, he's just yeah. British from the And South. of course, once again, going back to what is in the case. What is that shirt? Crazy Cat? Yeah, but we'll, we'll, he's got Crazy Cat shirt. But he's willing to die for whatever's in that suitcase. And I love the boss. fact we never know what it is, right? And he won't, he's that afraid of Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. We, we saw what happens to Marcellus Wallace. Yes. And so, since he's afraid of Marcellus Wallace, and we saw what that guy did to Marcellus Wallace, and Marcellus Wallace now has the jump on that guy. And That's says right. He's going to get medieval on him. We know there's everything in the world to be terrified of. Second and time we open the case is right here, right? Exactly. There you go. And he goes, it's beautiful. 
All right, so I just Googled five fan theories. Oh, hold on a second. What's in the case? I want to, yeah, I want to know what's in the case, right? I mean, look, I fucking love the soul theory, which is adorable. <laughs> adorable. Soul. What is it, man? Oh, shit. I forgot this. I forgot that this is how they got to this point, that he fucking like. Right, he pulls him he in. Pulls See, bitch, be cool. Be cool. Be, well, like Fonzie. What is Fonzie? He's cool. Uh, <laughs> Correctamundo. <Yeah. laughs> um, God, this is the movie that made Sam Jackson a fucking star. A bad motherfucker. It actually says that on his wallet. But I mean, it's like, look, you're expecting, you know, Bruce Willis to be Bruce Willis. Yes. Like, you know, maybe you're discovering Uma Thurman, but we've seen her in movies. And right. She's wonderful in this. You know, maybe you're rediscovering John Travolta, but you're like, you've never I've seen, seen this right. guy in movies, man. Like, what's it? This is what's his name? Sam Jackson. He's amazing in this fucking movie. There's a scene at the end of the movie where he does this big monologue about bad motherfucker. But nobody ever said like, oh, dude, that's the guy. That's the gunman from Coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> or nobody says that's Gator from Jungle Fever, man. <laughs> Dude, but it's it's so brilliant how it ends, you know, because these two, once again, Jules and Vincent go into the diner to have some breakfast. They don't expect any problems. During which fucking Jules is talking about how he's going to change his life right. because they got spared by the hand of and God. And he just said, hey, you know, five hours ago, I would have killed you. But right now, I've been through something very personal. I'm going to change the way I think. But so also conversely, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin walk into the diner thinking they got an easy score. They don't expect to run head-to-head with two fucking hitmen. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. They should be expecting They should it. be. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know because it's early. It's 1994. Yeah. But now? Yeah. If it was Once Upon a Time Hollywood they ought to characters, know. they should know. Ringo. So he's calling him Ringo because of the fucking accent, right? I guess so, yeah. yeah or also, also Ringo is like kind of a, a cowboy name. Totally. Too. A but cowboy, it feels right? more like, you know, he's doing a British accent. He's doing a British thing, yeah. Um, man, oh, man. Uh, at this point in the movie, I'm I'm sitting there. We're on the quasette, off the quasette. What's the quasette? You've said it a couple times. It's like the, where the main drag and fucking can where they oh, okay. walk up and down. Gotcha. And shit, where all the movie theaters are. Gotcha. Hotels and shit. Vincent, be cool, because um, now Vincent's out. And oh, this, and he's this out the this. toilet. And if you saw Re- Reservoir Dogs, which a lot of us had, you know Mobile how that one ends with a fucking the Mexican what they standoff. Used to call a Mexican standoff. Right. Everybody pointing guns at each other. And in this case, Vincent would live; everyone else would die. Right now, yeah, yeah, because yeah, Sam shoots. Yes. Yeah, and she goes, "I gotta go Nobody's pee." Nobody's pointing a gun at him. I want to go home. I love that. Hang in there, baby. It's almost over. Tell your proud, proud of you, honey bunny. He's fucked because he hates the fact he got he got bested by another cat. Tim Roth is like he won't take his eyes off Sam Jackson. It's a pretty wonderful performance. I mean, it's, why would he it's, take it's, his eyes off? Guys yeah, it's a great fucking scene, man. There's a great scene in the midst of many real great scenes. Hard to be the shepherd. Yeah, it's the one that says "bad motherfucker." <laughs> I always love shit like that. Like, did they go shopping, you know, in Temecula to find that wallet, or did they get it made? Um, um let us see. Let's take a peek out. That was made for the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Of course, it was. In the '70s, though, those were kind of wallets. You'd have a wallet that would have Kevin embroidered on it. What's the big idea here, though? He was getting that money anyway, right? Yeah. 
He 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 wants the wallet though. I think he wants the the credit. He likes the he likes the wallet. Yeah, and he keeps the case too. Yeah, he's got to keep that because that goes back to Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, exactly. But this guy was getting the money anyway. Fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, but, but he, he does he take the bag of wallets or no? He gives them everything. He just said, "I wanted my wallet back and I want the case. Take the fucking money, get the hell out of here." And then 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 <laughs> Vinny's shoot pissed. him on general principle. No, you let it. He ain't gonna do a god fucking motherfucking thing. Vinny, shut the fuck up. Great shit, man. You're so good. Fucking, that's, I, now I want to see Chris Jericho's Pulp Fiction, the one-man performance. <laughs> <laughs> he did hey. it right in sync with Sam Jackson. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. Next time you have a, a theater that you need saving, don't do the live Clerks 3 reading. Just have me show up to read Pulp Fiction. Done and done. <laughs> so he's saying he's giving him the money so he doesn't have to kill him. You read the Bible? Yeah. I regularly know. Well, the passage. passage. And then, by the way, this is not a real Bible passage. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 25, 17. 17. Yeah, that's what I heard. No, it is real. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, okay, brother. I'm going to look it up. E- Ezekiel 25, 17. Ezekiel 25. Yeah, got it. 25. 17. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um. I will execute terrible vengeance against them to punish them for what they have done. And when they have inflicted my revenge, they will know that I am the Lord. And that's pretty much it. But yeah, depending they, they, on which translation of the well, Bible. Well, they added to it, though. I think that I well, heard that. Again, it depends which translation you pull from gotcha. the Bible. That could be King James. And he put it, might have pulled from the New American edition of the Bible. I'm but the read. sentiment is the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The Holman, the uh, critically acclaimed. I will execute great vengeance against them with furious rebukes. They will know that I am Yahweh when I take my vengeance on them. So we well, get the point. He he might have listen. This is Tarantino. He killed Hitler. He did not kill Sharon Tate. He pulls it from a different version of the Bible. Or he just like word for word. He might have added to it. I'm sure I've heard something like that. It is the uh, the Bible's been translated a couple times, right? So there's stricter right. translations, and then there are looser, like yeah, modern yeah, yeah. day Christian translations. And his all right. Here like you go. I got a little. Stricter. I got a little factoid for you. Here we here. go. Over here. Um, Learn me. I hate when that happens when you go to somewhere and it take it, it's it's got the headline and then you go there and it doesn't. Uh, hold on, I'll get there. And it doesn't give you the real. Thing. Yeah, exactly. We've um, already learned like that. I was fucking wrong about the diner. And oh, I was. I thought it was me though. I thought that was me. That century said that. shit. Well, I mean, but I noticed. I was like, wait a second. I don't think that is that diner. So once again, um, and a lot of dialogue. Like suspense, this, man. This Bill. is another scene that could have been. Um, edited a bit but it's all the suspense because we don't know what's going to happen because tim roth is a loose cannon and for yes. all we know he gets up and tries to shoot him in right. the face but he gets up and leaves i think it's so cool that he ate some food right before he he's still watching and they out. walk out with a good score yeah they still get the bag right yeah yeah they got they the bag the of all the wilds um and then these two cats are off i think we should be leaving that with their guns out and this is the the brilliant ending where they uh then they walk out the, and they're playing the surf music while they're wearing their fucking beach and, and wear. Here's another thing: they walk out in sync, left, right, left, right, arm swing, arm swing. And Vincent's got his book, the same book he's reading in the bathroom when he gets shot the later. Modesty yeah. plays book. Yeah. Just uh, they Looking stop. Like badasses yeah. in their dopey little outfits. <laughs> Guns. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Into the waistbands of their fucking baby Great, suits. great shit, man. So that's your ending instead of Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Great, um, uh, just 
tremendous written um, and directed by Quentin Tarantino, but that's not correct. Well, written by Roger Avery too. You mean? Yeah, well, go we'll see. And look at the credits. It, it, yeah, Frank Whaley. There you go. Bruce Willis, Rosanna Arquette, Stoltz, great, killed it. Oh, I know why. Because there's no director Bishimi. credit before the. I don't think it says. I don't think it says directed by Quentin Tarantino in the beginning credits. Well, oh, Kathy Griffin plays herself. Oh, that was she has that. Karen, oh, sorry, Karen Murayama. That's, that's I said. Karen Murayama. The gimp is Stephen Hibbert. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Bender, long hair, hippie, yuppie scum. <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, and then you get the uh, Zane, the assistant accountant. He didn't have a last name. Just He's Zane. One, man. He's like the sheriff. How about James Chip Weiss? How did James get a nickname in there? And uh, Michael Levine did not. Nobody calls him James, man. They only knew him as Chip. Okay. There you go. There's the, a- uh, wow. I mean, it's. Hair extensions. Why is there? Who got a hair? Wig maker. The who had hair extensions? Fucking Travolta for sure. Oh, you think so? Yeah, okay. Yeah, wasn't his real hair. So and that's Mia, a choice that- Mia had fake hair too. But that was a choice that Travolta made or, or Quentin made, Quentin. I wonder. I bet you Quentin going like, what? give him that greasy hair, man. <laughs> give him that greasy, like long He needs to have a, a greasy hair, hair and uh, uh, those flies were or Spanish flies and they were too big. Um, okay, so I this is the swing gang. What would a swing gang do, Kevin? You know, I've been in this business 25 fucking years. I'm still not sure. If I remember correctly- it's the people that put together a set be- before you get there. Mm. Um, if you're having to, like, uh, we're going from this to this. Um, but, you know, you wrap and then 12 hours later or less, you're going to be back there. Gotcha. Swing comes in and sets up. So okay. I, know, I know some real people out there are like, that ain't swing at all. It said Carpenters, Richard and Karen. What does that mean? You know, they were fucking, <laughs> they, they just wanted to be close to you. <laughs> On the day that you were born, the angels Don't you got together. I remember when this movie ended and I was watching these trailers the first time. Me and Scott Mosier sitting there in France. Well, this, 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 uh, the credits? There's watching the credits and I'm going. Oh, look at this. Greg Nicotero did makeup effects. Yeah, yeah. Kurtzman. T- Bob Kurtzman worked on the movie. Is Bob there a movie Kurtzman that- did our uh, fucking walrus. He did uh, Iron Bob. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, was great, when they the were K&B effects group. Yeah, K&B. But yeah, Nick- Nicotero worked guy's with everywhere, on, man. Uh, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? Even as recently He's as like an, in every movie. Like he's and the guy he's that- directed he- like a lot of Walking Dead. Yeah, and, and he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's I think he's, he's one of the- EPs on that show now at this point. When I, Kathy Nelson, she was also our exec for the Mallrats uh, uh, soundtrack. Mizzaloo, Jungle Boogie. That's a huge one. Cool in the Gang was I'm great. watching these credits and I say to Scott Mosher, I'm like, how much do you think this movie can make? He's like, I don't know. I was like, either it makes $10 million or like $100 million. Right. Like, it's just so fucked up. Either or. I end up doing $100 million. Um, But also, this um, emboldened me to go back into my draft of dogma and do bigger tone shifts, violent tone shifts. Mm. So like the scene where he kills people in the movie's boardroom, that doesn't happen unless I see Pulp Fiction. Oh. was the name of the angel? Loki. Loki comes in. And Loki is in Silent Bob, a Jane Silent Bob reboot. He is. Loki yeah. comes back. Yeah, well-remembered. Fucking well-plugged. Well Dude, I mean... Video Archives, that was the name of the fucking uh, video store. Look at Travel Arrangements by Judy Garland and Associates. No relation, I Can't assume. Be. 
She, yeah. yeah, at the end of her career, she, she was like, she, was she faked her death and got into travel. <laughs> <laughs> Eastman Color Films, Linda Eastman, uh, Paul McCartney's ex-wife of the Eastman uh, film dynasty. That's a true story, by the way. And uh, Kodak, man, they're still yeah. fucking kicking around. They're still doing it. Quentin shot his new movie on film, and you know he's a film guy. Like he I'm loves that shit, thirty-five right? millimeter, or on you know Hateful Eight was seventy millimeter. But it's yeah, a, he's like uh, Nolan, one of them purists. But you almost you know, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul and that type of stuff. You're just costing yourself money in this day and age. I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but that's just rich kid filmmaking. Yeah, it's like Zach Wilde from you Ozzy's band. You have crazy money and, and like, you know, like you've got a rep that says you're going to make money even if you don't, you're just cool, so you get to do whatever you want. Right. I could never do that. I would never. Sally Menke shot this. So I wonder if it was Sally's idea. I've cut this. I wonder if it was Sally's idea to break it up break up the narrative oh how do you mean like if it wasn't necessarily that in script format oh like if they figured that on post here it is stories by quentin tarantino and And roger Roger avery Avery. so that's why roger was able to go up and get an oscar when quentin won Ah, and the last credit was produced by Lawrence Bender, so he didn't take a written and directed by credit. That's why it shows up first at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. And why he doesn't share screenplay credit with Roger Avery. Um, but I remember he was not pleased about that. Like really? having to share the Oscar with Roger Avery. Oh, I gotcha. So we're looking here at... Um, uh, wow, what a journey that was. A journey back into the 90s. But what a great... Like you said, not just a great journey, but once again, watching this masterpiece movie. Uh, but here's some theories as to what could be in the case. Mm. Um, uh, diamonds. Uh, co-writer Roger Avery has said diamonds were mooted when they were pinning the script, but that was rejected as too predictable. Right. Okay. Uh, Elvis's gold suit. <laughs> uh, that would uh, drop jaws. Tarantino's reign is the king of pop culture. Pastiche with a penchant for rushing over films and in-jokes. Uh, might be the gold lame suit from True Romance. Okay. Uh, a small nuke. That's just getting ridiculous. All right. The soul of Marcellus Wallace. The best theory. That's the best one. It says the most persistent and genius theory is that it's the soul uh, who sold it to Satan and he's trying to get it back. And the imposing mob boss wears a bandaid on the back of his neck, reportedly because actor Ving Rames has a scar there. He wanted to hide for the over-the-shoulder shot. But it's also been argued that when the devil takes your soul, he takes it from the back of your neck. <laughs> Never heard that in the old blues records. Um, so the there devil you go. takes your soul, he takes it through the back <laughs> from of your the neck. From the back of your neck. <laughs> Nobody theory was gold bars. That's what I thought when I fucking gold, okay. saw the movie. I'm uh, like, wow, he just got a lot of gold bars in that case. A MacGuffin stuff that dreams are made of an Oscar just boring. I just think yeah. too literal. So I'm like the gold bars. I never would have thought the soul of Marcellus Wallace. That's yeah, poetic. That, that's something that I never even thought about until I started going online right. to find out what Thank exactly God for it the is. Internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and people don't say that all the time. <laughs> yeah. But um, another deep dive up the anus of an American classic, man. Yes. Uh, we started over on talk is Jericho. We finished over here on Smodcast, uh, Pulp Fiction, a movie so fucking big, it took two podcasts Yeah, to fucking tell And we story. knew this was going to happen because we were laughing. We did uh, the Bad News Bears one, which took us about three hours or something, maybe. And there's Way always, longer than the movie is. And there's always an hour of like pre-conversation of just us hanging out. And that was 90 minutes for three hours. And we're like, dude, there's... There's no way. Pulp Fiction, two and a half hours. I said when you come over, leave four or five hours <laughs> yeah. between two shows. We, we split it up. So That's what we do. There are conversations and, uh, uh, 
You know, I, I, I think once again, so the rumor that Tarantino will do one more movie and then he's done, which and that'll be a couple 10. years from now. It's not like so do you really think that's year. the case? Is that, is that kind of the, the deal? All right. Well, let's think about it. If I'm 49, he is what? 55. Um, I'll probably check it out. Yeah. No, he's older than me. Okay. So I got to say he's 55. By the time he, you know, how many years was it between Hey Flight and this couple of years? I think that was fifteen. So, so generally after a movie, four years in between, something like that. Yeah. Blah blah blah. So Tarantino's fifty six. So he's gonna do his last movie by the time he's sixty. Do I think he'll stick to his like ten films? I mean, it's what you I do. I think it's, I think it's his definition of ten films. So it, you know, he's never revealed it, but I think it's like, I'm not saying I know, but my guess would be. That means films that I write and, and direct. direct. Right. Because From Dust Till Dawn doesn't count. He's a director. True Romance doesn't count. Unparalleled director. Why throw away or put those talents away? Even if you're like, look, even if you believe for whatever reason that like, I can't play at a young man's level when I'm 60. All my ideas will get old and blah, blah, blah. Even if you believe that as a writer, doesn't mean you can't fucking direct. Mm. He's directed things he hasn't written before. So there's a world where, you know, his 10th movie is one he writes and directs, but he still also does a Star Trek movie that he just didn't write himself. Mm -hmm. He might have had input on the story, but it's not a Quentin Tarantino script, but it is a Quentin Tarantino directed movie. Movie, right. I mean, it just... Shaggy! It's just one of those... Fucking goes here! (laughs) Shaggy! This is what you do. I mean, you don't stop. I remember when Ozzy was going to retire when he was like 50. It's like he retired for two years and it's like, what am I going to do? Grow fucking carrots in a garden? But it's a romantic notion that like you could see a guy who made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Would like to, you know, like go like, okay, that's 10 movies. Hollywood ending. Yeah. Like there's something symmetrical to it and fucking it feels what a part of a Hollywood legend that would be. But. We could try as hard as we want in this life. You don't get to write your ending. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Never. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're like, this is it, mm-hmm. you don't get to write your ending. So you can try, you can shape things, you put them in directions, but we don't know. All right, so Pulp Fiction, uh, favorite scene and favorite character? Um, Let me see. Who... Wow, what a tough question. Favorite character. Let's start there. Um, I'm tempted to say Jules because he's the most human character. Interesting. He's the one you can relate to the most, oddly enough, even though he's a hitman. Because he has redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, goes through an arc of sorts. Whereas Butch makes a series of bad decisions and just gets lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, Vincent, you know, I don't identify with, so his character I don't really like I I don't go for I'm not like I don't like him but I'm like he's not mm-hmm. my favorite character mm-hmm. Marcellus is pretty interesting I don't you know what it might honestly after this viewing be Mia wow yeah I never thought that before but like she was the one even though we were talking that I was kind of compelled to watch and not because I'm like, Ooh, she's pretty, but just because she's interesting. She's mm-hmm. doing shit mm-hmm. and her delivery and 
So, and her story is kind of fascinating. And yeah, in retrospect, I think I might give it a Mia an edge over Jules. Jules seems to be the obvious choice. I'm going to give... The Gimp might be the really... <laughs> yeah, that's your favorite cut choice. It's like, look, I sit through that movie every time just to get to the Gimp. <laughs> I'm going with, uh, uh, to me, just the resur- resurgence of John Travolta because I've right. always been a John Travolta fan uh, ever since Carrie in 1976. And I thought just seeing him with the hair and like pudgier, but still funny and still like, well, you watch me, watch him. So I'm going to go with, with, with Vince. Secondary favorite character, Lance, the heroin dealer. Right. I think his couple scenes are just, he's a great actor. And you forget once again, you see these guys and you're like, fucking Eric Stoltz is pretty great actor, you know, and, um, I really enjoyed his scene. I think, uh, uh my favorite part of the movie, um, obviously like there's so many great scenes. Um, I, I love the scene in the, in the bar when, when it's the Palooka and the Hitman and the whole thing with Paul hey, and the, punchy. yeah, hey, punchy. I'm and it's like, you know, you yeah, my name's hey, Paul. I'm talking you, punchy. My name's Paul. It's between y'all. Then why the fuck did you ask me then? And then the whole thing with the fuck pride, you're going to see that sting. Like it's that whole, that whole scene I just thought was really, really well done. My uh, favorite moment, I think, hands down, is the gimp, just because that's when I was like, holy <laughs> fucking shit. Right. I've never seen, nobody's ever seen right. this in a fucking movie before. Like, I didn't see this fucking coming. In a movie full of moments I didn't see coming, this is fucked up. Well, listen. And, the, and I'm not like, yay, fucking rape by any stretch of the imagination. But that, I, I who could have possibly scene dude completely how far and weird that scene fucking went and how much more harrowing harrowing it was than what we initially thought we were like oh they're gonna kill these guys right. and it's like oh no they're gonna or they're gonna like you know skin them alive right <laughs> living like, fuck dolls there's oh an actual God. guy that lives in a cage whose only job is to be a living fuck doll and who was one of them like yeah. presumably a guy who stumbled into the fucking store that these other two like right. fucking fuck constantly and, and they no just one knows where he is him and nobody knows where he that is that guy could have a family at home that just he just disappeared cuz cuz quite can frankly I change my answer most interesting character the yeah. gimp okay because yes, you, you can. can make a whole movie about just that now see if we were on talk as jericho you wouldn't be allowed to change your, your answer Don't because it's I'm sticking on smartcast i'm sticking with me but the point is this like you can go deep dive into the gimp to where, like, and listen, they sure did, I'm sure. <laughs> but, 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 and, and taking out the plot hole, where why wouldn't the cops have followed them into the right? If, if I never trip into that so much, well, I'm like, ah, it's LA's a big city. Right. I got in a car accident once, and so, nobody fucking so maybe cops they, didn't even maybe they up. both disappeared in there, and nobody could find them. If they would have been taken and and you know turned into gimps, no one would ever know. Yeah, Fabiano would be waiting at the hotel for Butch to come back, and Mia Wallace would be waiting for Marcellus to come back. You would never see them again. And, and I, the I'm next sure... time they pull them out, like it, it'd be a series of like we're just fucking raping these dudes until they were, and putting them in a box yeah. until they were fucking turning them into until to, they were like human animals, like dog, like Reek on Game yeah. of Thrones. You turn them into a fucking dog. It's fucking yeah. Think about that, man. Like whenever when they did it on Game of Thrones, people were like holy shit. It's kind of just the gimp. Yeah, it's it's the gimp. He could be. Uh, that might be the most fascinating notion in a movie full of them. Like, what's that guy's story? If I ever had Tarantino on on Talk is Jericho, uh, I would ask him. Do the Gimp story, man. The Gimp. I, I would want to know, like, did, did Cliff kill his wife in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? He'd never tell me because he might not even know. But what is the Gimp? Where, what did you see that made you write 
the character of the gimp who lives in a cage and his only job is to fuck these crazy they're not even not homosexuals they're just killers it's not even his job it's like he's a fucking <laughs> yeah. victim he doesn't get paid like, for it he's, he's like you what kind of deprogramming and fucking therapy would oh. this poor motherfucker have to go through there's one of my one of my biggest fears is to be it was kind of smart to include the gimp number one it does like fuck you up where you're like what the fuck but it it showed them their future so right and i've never thought of that before brutality they were receiving at the end of these fuckers dicks this is what you're going to Marcellus become. Wallace, one of the most powerful gangsters in the world, was going to be a dude who could be the in next a little game. box. Yeah, that they only talk took out to fuck. Oh my god, oh my god. that's 25 years in. This is what I just like. Like I said, one of my biggest it's fears, a horrifying movie when you put it through that yeah, prism. Yeah. That, that aspect of the movie is horrifying. But to be unjustly accused of like murder and I get 30 years to life for something I didn't do. This is up there. Just walking into a pawn shop looking for a freaking you know Iron Maiden album. And getting turned into a fuck doll where no one knows where I am. Please Kevin, do, every time do. I go into a pawn shop, I'm going to text you. I'm going in a pawn shop <laughs> yeah, at 53rd and 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't come back in 10 minutes. Drop a pin right here, <laughs> yeah. man. Um, oh, my God. Like, just the fucking notion of, like, a world where you you live in a sunless yeah. four by four fucking, like, you're bent over constantly he couldn't even stand up straight when he got out of the cage because he was bent you notice he comes out all fucking weird and shit and he was probably happy to see them getting fucked with because it meant he was off the hook a little bit right maybe he could be uh, maybe he gets out of the gimp car it's like a pyramid scam oh, he ain't ever getting out of the gimp costume <laughs> there'd be two of those guys living that in was the my cage. only my only look I, I know you were like they got in a car accident my fucker got, got shot the cops should have found him my bigger beef is that fucking gimp outfit's awfully clean <laughs> For a guy living in a fucking box, <laughs> presumably been in that box for a little while and shit like that. He should, there should be shit stains on it. Oh, and... It should have looked lived in. There should be fucking feces everywhere. What, did they take him out go to the bathroom every once right, in a while? They let them out of the cage. They don't even think of him as a human being. There's right. no way they're He's... like, bathroom break, Gimp, you know? <laughs> and, like, and does the Gimp costume have a, have a little like a trap door on the ass? Got like, it. Like, well, it's got it. it for fucking. Right. So at the end of the day, there's got to be some shit going on. But like, dude. You could do a whole okay. movie about okay. that. When I when I did uh, when I did your movie, uh, our movie, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, mm. I went into costuming. Obviously, if you've seen it, you know that I play a, a KKK leader, Klansman, Klansman, and I go to costuming and you had amazing costumers, and they were talking about how they got the the clan smock or whatever the fuck right. it's called the, with the mask and everything. Listener team, and there's actually uh, like some kind of a website, like like like. Mama McGee's Nazi power uh, seamstress company. One where, place where you get them. Where they actually make them. Yeah, there's a lady who's been making them for decades. Right. So it's we could business. probably find, like, you know, Mama McGee's gimp costume making that would put a trap door in there <laughs> for fucking. <laughs> I, I mean, but think about it. You're not meant to live in that suit. That's a suit you No, put yeah, on, you put it on. You go to a fuck party. You take it off and you leave your dignity in the suit. Yeah. You know, you yeah, put yeah. your dignity back on yeah. and you go back into the world. This motherfucker, that's why you get your heads around it. He's living in that suit. Mm -hmm. Always in a cage. Yeah. In that box. And like he got out and they're just using him as lookout this time. So once they were done fucking Marcellus Wallace and fucking Butch, they were going to put him back in the fucking box. Right. And his greatest relief for that day was that he didn't get fucking 
fucked. Yeah, someone but else But he did. has to go back into the fucking box. But here's another thing, too. They actually have... Con- it's con- horrible. They've constructed a, a whole... You know what? I've never been stoned and watched Pulp Fiction, and that's why I'm going deep on the gimp. Because <laughs> this is now... Now the whole movie I'm seeing through the gimp's perspective, and I'm like... <laughs> What a what a fucking horror Dude, movie see, that is! You shouldn't have done Tusk. You should have done the Gimp. The Gimp. The Gimp Tusk better. is my version of the Gimp. I'm starting to see correlations here. Greens and greens. But <laughs> I'm, here's another thing too. They've actually constructed a a, a a lock system on the ceiling where they can clip the Gimp to a hook. So he can like a dog. He has a dog. Yeah. Gun. So not, so they they've done this before. They've hooked up the Gimp. Or else, why else would that be there? They didn't hook him to a plumbing pipe. They hooked him to a hook that was in the ceiling made to hook him up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. There you go. The movie's so good, you forget. Yeah. You forget about, like, oh, he he got punched and he was hanging there. But that's the other thing. Like, what's going to happen to the gimp? Well, that's my point. He didn't die. He got knocked out. So unless, he's going to wake Butch... up and his masters are fucking dead. Well, and not or, not, or not dead. Well, yeah, one's getting worked over. With but not water. to mention, okay, so here's the thing. Do they let him go? Does no. Marcellus Wallace no, let him no, go? No, Marcellus Wallace is going to take a pair of pliers and the blowtorch to him too. And he could Why? be. He didn't do nothing. He's the gimp. The butcher's trainer didn't do nothing either. He took him to the kennel to stick the dogs on him. Oh my God, what an excellent point. <laughs> right? Things are getting even darker for the gimp. <laughs> Jeez, so in a gimp. moment where the gimp's like, oh my God, my captors are finally fucking dead. Freedom, he's going to get killed anyway. I lumped in with him. By Marcellus Wallace because Marcellus Wallace is pretty far from fucking okay. Hey, doesn't want anybody, don't tell anybody about this. I don't want the gimp to know. That's, oh my God. The gimp is dead. He's going to die. He's he's getting, he's getting, he's going to get medieval on his own. He's getting medieval. And this is a real poignant movie to be made here about this motherfucker who just stumbled into that. Like I said, you can can make a prequel. He winds up getting fucking. He could, he could be a bank manager. He could be freaking a cop. He could be a Boy Scout leader. Or to be fair, I mean, we talk about how he was captured. Could have been a guy that answered an ad. It's like, maybe. You, do you want to be a human fuck doll? Live he's, in a box. He's the gator chaser. Yes. <laughs> That's fucking Kilroy reference right there. Um, I When I watch this movie, as we wrap it up, I realize, God, I owe so much to Quentin and his career. Uh, if he doesn't do what he does, I never get to do what I do and stuff. And then years later... He put my kid in his movie, which is That's so cool. fucking even kookier. And not even as a favor. No. You I know? still haven't spoken to him. Like, I, I thought maybe I'd see him at the premiere and be like, thank you. Because our life around here would have fucking sucked if she didn't. It, she auditioned, and for a month, she didn't know she was in the movie. Mm. And it did suck around here. But it was mm. a dark fucking cloud, and she was like in a shit mood. Like, fuck this, and fuck and, life. And, and the thing is- And like, then she found out that she was in the movie, and she was like, what? But, see, but here's the best part for her confidence. When you watch the movie, I was looking for her, so I saw her a few times. And mm. she's not she's not featured, mm. but just the fact that she got the part and got to be around that experience of working with- You know, once again, growing up as Kevin Smith's daughter- Oh, she's an actress. Great. And being in a Kevin Smith movie ain't going to mean anything. But she her. killed it in Jane Silent Bob. Watching that movie with with, with you guys. No, honestly, I'm not just saying like she was fucking yeah. great. No, she was her. really and good. She, and she, we got her right after Quentin too. And so. that's what I mean. So for her to get the Quentin part, whether she was in it for a second or whether she was freaking Uma Thurman, confidence. that's a, a boost of confidence. Because I'll tell you what, I have never, and maybe I have once or twice, I've never gotten a gig from auditioning ever. I'm not a good... It's hard to audition. It's very yeah. scary to audition for Tarantino and to get it. That's a huge vote of confidence for her and her future. I'll do you one better. It's an even bigger vote of confidence because 
that he don't give you material with which to audition. How do you mean? So he don't give you sides. She didn't audition with sides from the script. He fucking nobody sees the script. He keeps it real quiet, right? So what did he do? He told the kids, come up with a monologue for your character. Just speak as one of the Manson kids. If you were one of the Manson kids. Wow. So kid went deep dive, watched every Manson doc and movie and shit and read a book. And so she came up with like her monologue and performed that. And he liked it, stuck with him. So when she got the job, I was like, look, I'm glad like you got picked because that's what you wanted and congratulations. But what I hear when you tell me that story is one of the greatest writers in American cinema liked your writing. Right. He responded to the monologue that you created. Exactly. I was like, so enjoy this and fucking act your heart out. But like I would lean into some storytelling if I were you. But you know what, dude? And here's another thing too, coming from a, from a movie fan standpoint in this time frame of 94, um, Go back to 93 with Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. But there was another hot young upstart who did a movie called Clerks, and a movie called Mall Rats, who also changed. What happened that kid? Yeah. Also changed the course of cinema, too, in a lot of ways. Maybe not cinema per se. Lowered the bar, made it easier for people <laughs> Dude, to get in. You're, you're so humble. But just, I'm saying you created like this whole, not slacker, but this whole different type of comedy about. That uh, I just saw a movie the other day called Stoned Age that I hadn't seen in years. Ah, from back in the day. If there was no Clerks and Mallrats, there'd be no Stoned Age. Uh, Days and Confused, even as well. Well, they, they went before us. But I'm just saying, it, it came from the same place. Where, okay, Tarantino created this ultra-violent, major storytelling, out of sequence. You were a part of I was the great dialogue. One. He was, he went, him. Just normal people. Right? And Quentin, uh, Quentin, Robert. And Richard, like later, and Robert would be and Rodriguez, Rodriguez, yeah, were all the same class, right? So like Reservoir Dogs is the same year as Slacker, gotcha, right? Almost the same year as um, El Mariachi. So I'm the generation that went to see their work and said, you know, oh shit, I want to do that because Mariachi was very low budget, and then he remade it. Remade it into as what was it called? Uh, what was it called? Um, it was a breakthrough movie. Desperado. Desperado, right, right. Um, so those cats went before me. Like I remember hearing Robert on Howard Stern show talking about, you know, he was like, Look, I had a fucking turtle and a bus and a guitar mm-hmm. case, and I just wrote them all into the movie. Write what you have. Don't write right, right, what right, you right, don't right, have. Right, 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 right. And I was sitting there listening to it in a convenience store going, What do I have? And I was like, Well, there's this store. And that got me thinking about fucking shooting a movie in the store. But it was very dialogue based, though. Like, of course, movie has movies have great dialogues. But I remember watching Reservoir and watching Clerks and Mallrats and Pulp Fiction. You guys were writing stuff that I could relate to for my age. We're the same age. Quentin's a few years older. But just the, this deep dive, like you mentioned earlier from Reservoir Dogs, these gangsters sitting on a table talking about like a version. Pop culture was just as important. To yes. them as it was to me. Right, right. Like the fact that they could have a talk, these guys who are tough guys and they're about to fucking do a diamond heist, that they could fucking have this passionate conversation about something as throwaway and innocuous. Like you would have with your friends. Yes, as a Madonna know? song or sure. something like that. Yeah. Um, which in this day and age, I don't think modern Quentin would ever do something so. As the Madonna pop culture dialogue? Or so current pop culture. Like, because when he, this is 1990, 
92. You know, Madonna has been happening at this point for at least seven years. She's part of the fucking Kind of at her, almost at her peak at that point. Maybe, yeah, a little bit down. Madonna's peak is probably 89 to 91, something like that. The fact that he, like, I don't know, think about all his other movies. All the references are really kind of old and not oh yeah totally that's like the most current pop culture reference that he kind of made and i wonder like if he were to do it today there's no way on earth he couldn't he... come up with like a uh sean mendez pop culture reference but or i a... just i don't even think he would do madonna i bet you that was you know fucking... madonna's so irrelevant now at this point in time not irrelevant oh, i take she's it back just part of the i take it back she, the, she's legendary moment. but yes, yeah at iconic. the time she was at <laughs> from the... irrelevant to iconic in yeah fucking three seconds right but but she was also um... she was in the conversation a big point right then she, she was she was the hot center of the conversation. yes right now if you're going to do that about a hot you'd be doing about beyonce or freaking taylor swift or somebody along those lines but he probably wouldn't do it about anybody current. And she, to be fair, she was current then, but she was, it wasn't like she was brand new. Just so weird. Like when you go, if you think about all of Quentin's movies, you could probably get somebody by being like, what, what is, uh, what's name every musical conversation mm-hmm. in a Quentin Tarantino movie? Right. And people would forget that the dude's career starts with a conversation about Madonna. Right, yeah. Like how fucking awesome must Madonna feel, right? Mm-hmm. She's part of the pop culture, like from all the shit she did on her own, but also mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino name checked her in a fucking movie. And another thing that's funny too, and this is the forgotten Tarantino film. We mentioned Grindhouse earlier. Mm. Death Proof. People don't remember that that's a fucking great. Like Kurt Russell in that stuntman Mike mm. is so, such a great character for going from a, a fucking raving, cold-blooded psycho to a cowardly bitch getting beaten up by fucking tough-ass chicks. Right. But there's a lot of that. There's Because she's a DJ, if you remember, Rosario Dawson, mm. she's in the two sides of the story, she dies at the beginning. But it's all about music for the first half. Right. You know, and but he's very obsessed with music, and we talked about just as he brought actors back, like Robert Forrester, John Travolta in this movie, and 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 you know Pam Greer and all these people, David Carradine and Kill Bill. Mm. He also does the same with music, and we mentioned it in part one. But Miserloo, Dick Dale, the, the theme of Pulp Fiction, never heard that song before, had no idea what it was. Now when I hear it, it is the theme to Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. It's a it's fucking like bad. Well composed. How, how, yeah, exactly. Like, how did he connect? this song with this movie so not only is he a movie file mm-hmm. he's obviously a music fan as well from that time frame the um we talked about before about people who said no to quentin so of course and it was when we said oh will smith will smith yeah. but there was another one um and it was because david carradine wound up in kill bill yeah <clears throat> but it wasn't supposed to be david carradine he wrote it for and tried to cast and almost had Warren Beatty. Really? And then Warren Beatty was like, I'm too old to do this and didn't do it. And so really? he went and cast David Carradine. Stuff. Probably the same age as David Carradine, maybe. But <clears throat> can you imagine why on earth the, does Warren Beatty say no? Yeah, who knows? Warren Beatty. But as a big cinema yeah. buff as Quentin is, like Warren Beatty was the fucking king Dude. of the 70s yeah. and shit as an actor. Before Heaven he can wait. Director. Shampoo. Can wait. John Millia's shampoo, shampoo, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that was his guy, but then that guy didn't want to do it. So hmm. he went to David Carradine because he's a big Kung Fu fan. 
as we know from Pulp Fiction. Right, right. Where he's right. like, I'm going to walk the earth like Kane and Kung Fu. So that's what we want. Uh, 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 episode 10, the last or the, the last Tarantino movie, Jules Walks the Earth. Tell me, man. That's the way to go. Either that or flat out the Gimp movie. <laughs> like, oh my God. That, I'm, I'm telling you, that movie make a $500 million. I want to know what, who is the Gimp? You know, he's one of the most mysterious. He's the Boba Fett he really of indie is. cinema. You know what I'm saying? Like where it's like, what a great character, and he was in it for one scene. He yeah. doesn't really do much, but what a great look. But de- gra- grains more. and greens, deep diving this motherfucker. Yeah, there's a whole movie there. There is. How did he end up in that cage? You could do Why two hours, no fucking sh- like student or fucking you know, uh, homegrown filmmakers done this on YouTube. Where's the gimp fucking fan film? You know what I'm saying? We need to know. And like also- in a world where they make Batman versus Alien Predator f- fan film. Yeah. Where's the fucking, like, this is how the <laughs> gimp happened. I also want to see, too, and like you said, uh, at Talk is Jericho, at I am Jericho, at that Kevin Smith, whatever we are. I want to see a, a chronologically edited version of Pulp Fiction. So smart. Somebody out there that do that too. for us. Yeah. Do that for us and tag us. I will watch it. I'll watch all two hours and 35 minutes in chronological order and we'll boost it single yeah single dude boost it. if you have some time on your hands do that because i'd really like to watch it phantom edit show me this yeah how would it begin yeah. what's the what's the first scene because we know the last scene is ed's dead baby drive away but what would be the first scene i don't even know well because if you're doing it chronologically you would take the honey bunny scene in the diner that opens the movie if Pre, you put it, and you put it right toward the end. Well, wherever it goes in the yeah, it'd be the after chronology. they after Marvin shot yeah, at the end in the almost. So would the the first scene maybe be when Jules and uh, and Vince are talking about uh, driving in the car. McDonald or Royale with cheese on the way to uh, to Marvin's apartment? That might be the beginning. It's got to be right, possibly. But then where does uh, when does yeah? Because he hasn't taken Vince hasn't taken uh, Mia out yet. Butch, Butch hasn't had his fight yet because Butch doesn't have his fight until after mm-hmm. they show up in the bar with the with the suitcase, Hawaiian clothes on, and with fucking uh, Marcellus Wallace's soul. <laughs> Not so as ba- dynamic a fucking opening <laughs> as this conversation where they jump up on the table yeah, and yeah. fucking. You're fucking super baked right now. I just so realized baked. it. <laughs> That's why I'm like so obsessed with the gimp. I'm like, fuck, man, what an untucked fucking. Oh. Reservoir, <laughs> pun intended, of fucking. I have story. to say, I have to say this as we wind down. I have to say this every time. First time we ever did the podcast together, which is a, a huge deal for me as a, as a, as, a, as an admirer of your work. Oh my god! Come to your house. We do this fucking great podcast. We started at the same time we started tonight with right. this light out, and you did not have the light turned on. And we talked for about two hours, and it was fucking pitch dark. And I was finally like, <laughs> I remember should this. we turn the light back on? You're like, oh, dude, I didn't even notice it. Because I remember you just like, they just pulled these fucking blunt after blunt. It was so high. I don't smoke weed. But I was like, fuck, I'm so high. So tonight, before we started, I made sure to turn the to light turn the on, on. <laughs> just to make sure. And I'm glad I did, because we actually have some lights. Because we so. took it to the fucking to the sun down. <laughs> That's did, how man. we roll, man. Greens yeah, and man. greens. So if you like this, let us know, and we'll do more of them because I, I enjoy this. We got a lot of. Uh... I know the one we'll do next. Okay. Is what we were talking. Don't tell them. But I won't it's the say one we're... we're talking about. Right I think. Oh. Show. You know wow. what I'm saying? Fourteen ninety two. Sixteen thirty one. Yes. Bitch. Yes. Yeah. And that'll be a movie where we'll probably be dead silent. Just Dude, falling in that one. Um, to this day. Dun dun. Okay. Oh. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. All right. Uh. 
Kevin, always a pleasure. And uh, guys, uh, if you have not seen Pulp Fiction, what the fuck are you waiting for? And I hope you enjoyed it. If you have seen it as many times as we have. Uh, you want to see Crash, uh, jump on TV Crass. and watch, uh, what is it? AW, uh, uh, every Wednesday a- on TNT. TNT, bro. Right, um, or you can see him uh, with Fozzie, or you can hear him on Talk as Jericho. Or Jane Silent Bob reboot. Did or I have a name, right. or was I just... We can give you a name right now. Um, Rusty. Oh, Rusty. Like Rusty. You have my favorite button in the entire Who the movie. fuck is Mitch and Murray? Oh, my God. I loved it. <laughs> oh, it makes me The so best happy. part, we were trying to think of, we were trying to to think of something. You asked for it, too. You were like, give me a big outline. Like, I need something. Yeah, I get I wanna, covered I in shit. End. We need something. I thought, you know, whatever it is, we'll, we'll probably cut it anyways. But for me, as, as a professional, I needed a way out. And you came up with that one. And it was uh, it was brilliant. Uh, just to finish the scene. But, oh, my God, I fucking love it. And I love when people laugh at it. Because I'm like, ah, oh, shit, they paid attention. Um, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's Modcast for this week, man. Such good shit. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Ming Chen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Chris Jericho. <laughs> Have a week. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.